When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to Summer Mornings with the start of a brand new sporting week. Julian King with you. It is, of course, the week before Christmas. I do hope everything is in order. You've got your prezies locked and loaded and you are, importantly, sharpening those backyard cricket skills in readiness for the big day. Then you sleeve it off and then you plonk yourself on the couch, if you're not in Melbourne, of course, and strap yourself in for the Boxing Day test. It really is the best time of the year, is it not? Tops of 29 in Sydney today, partly cloudy. My open line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. free call. And the text line, I think it's been tidied up since the technical glitches that we had on Friday, 0457... 736736. Bryce McGain is going to join us to discuss the Perth test. I wonder how Bryce would have landed them on that pitch. I thought it was a pretty good pitch, actually. We'll also catch up with Nathan McAndrew from the City Thunder. Isn't he having a year? Hit his prime, Nathan, now that he's, what, about 30 years of age. The Big Bash will resume. and The Thunder travel to Adelaide to take on the Strikers tomorrow. They should have won against the Heat in Canberra. And they can ill afford to start 0-2. So we'll speak to Nathan McAndrew. We'll also catch up with Alex Brosk, as we do every week on the program, to talk about all things football. Man United scrapped to a beautiful nil-nil draw against Liverpool. There's a time where you wouldn't accept that. Now it's like, beautiful, I'll take it. It's like an early Christmas present. Maestro on the tools. 2am Tommy with us, as always. Going to have fun on the program over the course of the next three hours. But to Perth Stadium, and I have to say, this venue in a short time is becoming a real fortress for the Australians. So you would have read it, seen it, heard it by now. Comprehensive win in the end by Australia over Pakistan. 360 runs. And they did it in four days. Some notable performances all round. Mitch Marsh was player of the match. Should have been Warner, I thought. But the day belonged to the Goats. Nathan Lyon, who claimed his 500th test wicket. And he comes. Ashraf hit on the pad. An appeal. An appeal. The umpire looks. He says no. Lyon pleading on his knee. Pleading. They are again going upstairs. Drama around Nathan Lyons' potential to direct 500 we test wickets. Has he got 500 test wickets? He does! So I recommend to reverse. 12 and a half years after his first test wicket of Kumar Sangakkara, Nathan Lyon joins Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath as Australian test cricketers with 500 test wickets. Wonderful moment for him, Nathan Lyon. He then followed it up with 501 in the same over. A phenomenal achievement for a very likeable and very down-to-earth cricketer. He took a wicket with his first ball in Test cricket, which actually is not a sign that you're going to go on to a big career. We can go through that list later. I think Keith Miller second on that list with 170 poles. So first ball in his Test match career against Sri Lanka. It's a boy from Young, via Canberra, then Adelaide. Part of that ground staff, considered a, a T20 specialist at stages. Uh, to reach this milestone, I don't think would have been in anyone's imagination. Yet here we are. Here we are. And thoroughly deserved. And he's not done yet. He's not done yet. The man is virtually indestructible. Quite remarkable stamina for Nathan Lyon. It's such a vital cog in this bowling quartet. Uh, how they missed him in Manchester. 
early this year. He bowls big overs. He bowls tight overs. Our own Darren Chuck Berry knew early on that this kid was different, not just another flat offie, a man who can gets over the to- get over the top, can rip it and dip it, and has developed over the years, Nathan Lyon, this ability, this ability to know what speed to bowl on what pitches in order to extract the most out of the surface. Very intelligent cricketer, a man very much in tune with his own craft, and now he joins Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath as the only men to have reached the 500 mark. And he's not done yet. He's not done yet. The man is virtually indestructible. Quite remarkable stamina for Nathan Lyon. It's such a vital cog in this bowling quartet. How they missed him in Manchester early this year. He bowls big overs. He bowls tight overs. Our own Darren Chuck Berry knew early on that this kid was different. Not just another flat offie. A man who can gets over the to- get over the top, can rip it and dip it. And has developed over the years, Nathan Lyon, this ability, this ability to know what speed to bowl on what pitches in order to extract the most out of the surface. Very intelligent cricketer, a man very much in tune with his own craft. And now he joins Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath as the only men to have reached the 500 mark. And Pat Cummins, I mean, you know, for those that, and we might talk about this today, unheralded or unsung heroes in sport. Certainly not to Pat Cummins. And the captain said afterwards, it's no secret that he's the most important cog in our bowling lineup. And he's right, because most games he's bowling 30 overs a day. Incredible resilience. Put him down at one end, not going to go for many. Take a few wickets. Quick bowlers can rest and rotate. So he started this test on 496 wickets. I think on Friday the bowl prediction was uh, he will get four and claim his 500. Well, I was one off. I was one off. Australia's leading wicket-taker in the first innings, as we mentioned, three for 66. And then, coming into that second dig, just needed the one more. It was a case of where everyone's on goat watch. Everyone is on goat watch. When will he claim his 500th? And we thought it could take some time because the quicks were dominating early. Only needed the one to become the eighth player in Test history to hit the 500 mark. Just a shame, though, on a couple of fronts. It was a tad anticlimactic after... Up by Richard Illingworth gave the LB not out, as you heard there. And apparently, I think Nathan Lyons said Cummins didn't want to review it. Just as well he did. Just as well he did. And they couldn't even muster 10,000. I've heard all excuses written and said about the Perth crowd. Oh, record at Optus Stadium. That's great. What, just under 60,000 across the four days. But on a day where there was a great chance Australia were going to win the Test match and that Nathan Lyon was most likely going to take... He's 500 test wicket. You couldn't even get 10,000 to Optus Stadium. Don't sugarcoat it. The crowds are poor. The crowds are poor. If they can show up for a West Coast Eagles match, if they can show up for a Perth Scorchers match, they can show up for Australia. I would have thought. As for Pakistan, look, they showed glimpses as they inevitably do. The problem is for the tourists, they just can't put it together for more than half a session. That was their 15th consecutive loss on Australian soil. You may have heard in your news bulletins, you know, they, they believe that they got the talent to challenge the Australians, and they probably do. Their batting looks a little skinny, though. But the two deputant quicks at Jamal and Shazad clearly have ability. Clearly. And the batters, particularly in their first dig, showed some resilience. They were going very, very slowly. But the Aussie bowlers are just too good. First innings in particular, they just beat the bat time and time again. Hazelwood in particular. And he just felt that eventually the edges would come particularly on that deteriorating wicket, and that's what happened. And what happened, they got scheduled for 89 in their second innings. So Cummins declared the Aussies' second innings closed at 5 for 233, so the target, I think, was 450 to win. 
So Aussie was gunning for the 100, got out for 90 playing his shots. Mitch Marsh chimed in as well, 63 not. You know, 450 target was always going to be plenty. Marnus's finger, by the way, seems to be okay, which is good news. Smithy got one early. The LB that some would call unlucky. Does he ever look happy? I mean, not that about as ever happy, happy when they get out, but shaking his head like it was the worst decision in history. And ball tracking showed it would have just clipped the bow. Oh, it's unlucky. Here's what it is. It's Jeff Lemon, a cricket writer, tweeted. One half of the podcast featuring our own Adam Collins, final word. He says, well... You know, if a bowler, if he gets bowled and it just nicks the top of the off bail or the leg bail, he says, oh, look at that, precision bowling. But on decision review, if it's an LB just nicking the top, they call it unlucky. What's the difference? It was out. It was close, but it was out. It wasn't unlucky. And Steve Smith's getting out LBW more in recent times than he ever has in his career. As for the big bison, showed why he's Australia's number six, should not be made into an opener. Just so powerful. Such a prolific puller of the cricket ball. And that's the other thing. Why didn't they show up for the Bison show? Down the ground, square of the wicket. And this is the thing. He got head at five. And then Mitch Marsh at six. He got two players who can really, really accelerate and take the game away from you. You don't want to be messing with that. You do not want to be messing with that. So the Aussies going to Melbourne 1-0, as most expected. This is a, a seriously good cricket side. And perhaps still underappreciated. But a very, very good cricket side. Anyway, it was Nathan Lyons' day. Let's hear from the man of the moment who spoke to our SEN call team after the win. It's almost like you're a rock star at the moment. How does that? How do you cope with that? Nah, definitely not a rock star. Uh, just uh, someone that bowls off breaks. That's all right. <laughs> the way I look at it. You always said, Nathan, about your own bowling. You just want to bowl your best ball over and over again. I can't think of any bowler who's done it more often than you have. Uh, to get to 500, what does that mean to you? I'm pretty proud. I'm beyond proud. Um, obviously, we've got my family here, some, well, some, of, some of the family here, my brother and uncle come over, and obviously, got my wife and my wife's family here. So, it's pretty special to, to be able to tick, tick off 500 wickets in front of those guys. But um, I know to come back from a calf injury and, and do all my rehab and have had this at the front of my mind of how big a milestone it potentially is, and um, to be able to come out and do it in the first test is pretty special. When you get to these milestones, is when you start reflecting on your own journey, right, Nathan? Um, just coming from where you are, your background, and to do what you've done. Uh, I mean, does, does, do you think about it, and th- does that sink in every time you do this? I try not to think about it too much at the moment. I think it's going to be more when I get call stumps um, that I'll sit down and have a beer and think where, where I got to, but uh, that's a long way away, so I don't need to worry about that. I've got a lot more. Nathan Lyon, as I said, very likeable cricketer. And I remember Steve O'Keefe, our colleague here and former teammate of Nathan's, who said, think about Nathan, he's the sort of guy that would just would have a beer with anyone. That's the type of bloke he is. 500 test wickets. Just let that sink in. 500 test wickets. We can go through some of the stats a bit later. Pretty interesting article to one of the nine papers today by Andrew Wu and Dan Bredig. I hadn't given much thought to this, but they're probably bang on. It took 134 years for Courtney Walsh, the great West Indian quick, to become the first player to reach that 500-wicket milestone. Five years later, in 06, he had Shane Warne, Murali, McGrath and Kumble for company. But then T20 didn't exist back then, right? In the past 17 years, only England pair James Anderson and Stuart Broad have been inducted into the 500 club until now. And what Lyon, Anderson and Broad all have in common, apart from, of course, all the Ashes, Yarns and, and whatnot, is their focus on the red ball stuff over the white ball stuff. 
And you think about England and Australia, that, those are two nations where test cricket is still held in the highest esteem, still cherished. But, you know, future generations are going to grow up honing their skills, knowing the considerable riches on offer in all these global T20 leagues cropping up over the planet. And that's the thing about test cricket lovers. It's not going to be in the financial interests of future players to play, not, not to play, but to play long enough to get to 500 poles. And that's the thing. I mean, 500 weeks, you've got to play well over 100 tests. How many players in this new economy are going to be playing 100 test matches anymore? Honestly. And I see Cummins has backed him to play beyond his 40th birthday and join Warney by taking 700 test wickets. So he's 36 now, I mean, that is, that is still looking far down the road. He said, oh, I'll be taking things wicket by wicket. But Pat Cummins said, well, mate, you've got another four or five years at least. Ten games a year, 40, 50 matches, four or five years, ten a year, average, what, four a game, 700. Can you imagine? That would be something. That would be something. I mean, the thing about it is, as I said, 130 possible test matches. He's missed seven. He is indestructible. We did his car fight, great for years, but he's come back with a bang. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Good morning to our friends on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney. Our Queensland listeners on SENQ going to be with us for the entire three hours today. Good morning to our colleagues north of the Tweed, SENQ 693 in Brisbane, 1620 on the Gold Coast and across the globe via the SEN app. Look, this was the big rugby league story from the weekend and the Tigers are never, ever far away from the news, are they? Nice reporting too from, from Michael Chambers. It's funnily enough, I was at my computer and I just saw this pop up in my socials about Jerome Luai set to sign that monster five-year deal worth more than $6 million with the West Tigers. You've got to go hard if you want them. That is the market reality. So Luai told his staff and teammates that he will not be at the club beyond next season and he's set to join the Joint Venture Club from 2025. Apparently a very emotional post-training session on Saturday. So they had Penrith, just to recap, had offered Luai a three-year, $2.5 million deal to remain at the club until 2027. But he said, you know what? Nope, got to test my value on the open market after 107 games with the Panthers, including three grand finals. Now, under the NRL's new rules, so Luai can declare only his intention to sign with the Tigers. So that gives Penrith a 10-day cooling off period to come up with a bigger offer to try and keep him. I think further to that, they have it too, so they can look into the detail and see what component of third-party payments and, and the rest. So as we said, Luai also retains the right to pull out of the deal with the Tigers during that period. So it's going to be a pretty interesting week and a half, isn't it? If, you, if you're a Tigers fan and you're worried that somehow you've got to botch it, that maybe the dogs will swoop in late and land him, or it's day at Penrith, I've got to say, that that did cross my mind. And I'm not a Tigers fan. I'm not a Tigers fan. Because the Bulldogs had a big offer at the table, about five and a half mil over five years as well. Do you just get that feeling in relation to the Luai story that there's more to play out here? Obviously, Penrith can't compete with that money, but what Penrith can sell is success. The thing about it is, if he ends up at the Tigers, Jerome, and it appears he will, he'll be their marquee man. Good luck to him. And for those who are saying it's way too much, well, as I said, that is the reality of the rugby league market. So bottom feeders, back-to-back spooners, they have to go big, they have to go hard, they have to pay overs, as some like to say, to lure these big fish. 
And what are the incentives? No short-term likelihood of premier success, premiership success, but a chance to, to own the team, to run your team, to step away from Cleary's shadow, to play under your childhood hero, Benji Marshall, to help, help rebuild a club, or as Shane Richardson prefers to say, build again. Doesn't like rebuild. Not sure what the difference is, tomato, tomato. Tigers fans should be rejoicing. I want to hear from Tigers fans on the program today. I want to hear from Panthers fans on the program today. Are you happy that you've signed Luai? Let's, let's assume that he will end up there. Are you happy? Do you think you paid too much? Or it is what it is. And Panthers fans, scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about losing Jerome Luai, who is one of your favourite sons, very popular player? He's a proven winner. A proven winner. High-quality representative footballer. And you factor in the young half, Sullivan, you know, Fainu coming through. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. And now Luai seemingly off the market. It's been written that Tom Dearden is potentially the next million-dollar man. And obviously age is Tom Dearden's biggest asset, being only 22. But I've got to say, it is a very, very good time to be a prominent half in rugby league at the moment because your value is skyrocketing. 0457 736 736. Uh, just on rugby league still, the Dragons, we know, reportedly offered Adam Fanel Blake a $4.5 million contract over four years. Shane Flanagan is hoping to have an answer from him by Christmas. He said, we're hoping to have a decision before Christmas. Had a fair bit of dialogue the last couple of days. Asked what it would mean to land the man. Rated in the top three props in the game. He said, it'd be enormous. In more ways than one. I know. Could be the start of the turnaround. Some elite representative plays, in my opinion, one of the best in the game. On he goes. But, but, and this is critical for Saints fans, me included. He said it could end up keeping 33-year-old Ben Hunt at the club until the end of his career. That's the start of the process we want to take to get some quality players. But there you go. If he gets signed, maybe Ben Hunt sticks around. Maybe. That would be ideal. Just very quickly before we get to our first break, Harrison Endicott, been on a bit of PGA Q School watch. He was a gun young amateur a few years back. Uh, he wants to regain his PGA Tour card. So they're in Q School at the moment. Unfortunately for Harrison Endicott, he's had to put that all on hold. Bad weather has forced the final round of qualifying school in Florida to be postponed. Unfortunately, he had a two-shot lead entering the last 18 in the final stage of qualifying school. He had a five under 65. He's a good goal for this kid. That's at Sawgrass. So we'll wait and see, but fingers crossed. He's got, I think, conditional conditional card at the moment from memory on the PGA Tour. 0457 As said, as I mentioned, we'll catch up with Alex Brosk later on. What about these scenes in the Premier League? Luton captain Tom Lockyer collapsed. The second time this year after suffering cardiac arrest, he's stable now. It's uh, pretty scary stuff. Pretty scary stuff. And just away from Australia v Pakistan, Harry Brook, the bloke that couldn't get a run for England in the World Cup, 31 of seven balls to chase down a total over 200 against a win to West Indies. 31 of seven balls. 0457 736 736. So it's all about the GOAT, Nathan Lyon, today. And I want to talk about unsung heroes, underappreciated sports stars, because Nathan was out for so long, obviously having lived in Warren's shadow. And you remember this time where Michael Clark had flirted with the idea of calling Warney out of retirement? don't think Nyan was too happy about it. But in all honesty, who thought that when Nathan Lyon got picked, he would be a 500-test wicket-taker? And he'll get to 600, provided he stays fit, and there's no reason to think he won't. Unsung heroes. I mean, you heard what Pat Cummins had to say. He's the most important cog in our machine. Not unsung or unheralded to those in the inner sanctum. 
But even when he went down injured with, oh, okay, we'll, we'll pick Todd Murphy over in the Ashes, I don't think even then people fully appreciated his importance, his role in the side. So let's talk about that on the show today. 0457 736 736. Unsung heroes in sport. Now, 2AM Tommy, we know, is a mad Chookies fan. I reckon he'd straight away say, oh, Mitch Orbison. Unsung, unheralded, underappreciated. I remember when Damien Martin retired, Ricky Ponick said, I don't think people appreciate how good he was. The ones that just work on the background, but you, when they disappear, you think far out. We really miss that player. 0457 736 736. In Brisbane today, maximum 32. Shower or two. And in the Gold Coast, shower two as well. Maximum of 29. Up and running for the start of a brand new week. Sporting week. This Monday morning on summer mornings. Julian King in for Matt White. Oh, Christmas is around the corner. Might even play some Chrissy tunes this week, eh? What do you reckon, Tommy? one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. The open line number. A breaking back with more summer mornings. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to Summer Mornings for the start of a brand new sporting week. Julian King with you. It is, of course, the week before Christmas. I do hope everything is in order. You've got your prezies locked and loaded and you are, importantly, sharpening those backyard cricket skills in readiness for the big day. Then you sleeve it off and then you pluck yourself on the couch, if you're not in Melbourne, of course, and strap yourself in for the Boxing Day test. It really is the best time of the year, is it not? Tops of 29 in Sydney today, partly cloudy. My open line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. free call. And the text line, I think it's been tidied up since the technical glitches that we had on Friday, 0457-736-736. Bryce McGain is going to join us to discuss the Perth test. I wonder how Bryce would have landed them. On that pitch, I thought it was a pretty good pitch, actually. We'll also catch up with Nathan McAndrew from the Sydney Thunder. Isn't he having a year? It is prime, Nathan, now that he's, what, about 30 years of age. The Big Bash will resume, and the Thunder travel to Adelaide to take on the Strikers tomorrow. They should have won against the Heat in Canberra, and they can ill afford to start 0-2, so we'll speak to Nathan McAndrew. We'll also catch up with Alex Brosk, as we do every week on the program, to talk about all things football. Man United scrapped to a beautiful nil-nil draw against Liverpool. There's a time... We wouldn't accept that. Now it's like, beautiful, I'll take it. It's like an early Christmas present. Maestro on the tools, 2AM Tommy with us, as always. Going to have fun on the program over the course of the next three hours. But to Perth Stadium, and I have to say, this venue in a short time is becoming a real fortress for the Australians. So you would have read it, seen it, heard it by now. Comprehensive win in the end by Australia over Pakistan. 360 runs, and they did it in four days. Some notable performances all round. Mitch Marsh was player of the match. Should have been Warner, I thought. But the day belonged to the Goats. Nathan Lyon, who claimed his 500th test wicket. And he comes. Ashraf hit on the pad. An appeal. An appeal. The umpire looks. He says no. Lyon pleading on his knee. Pleading. They are again going upstairs. Drama around Nathan Lyons' potential 500 test wickets. Has he got 500 test wickets? He does! So I recommend to reverse. 12 and a half years after his first test wicket of Kumar Sangakara, Nathan Lyon joins Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath as Australian test cricketers with 500 test wickets. Wonderful moment for him, Nathan Lyon. He then followed it up with 5-0-1 in the same over. A phenomenal achievement for a very likeable and very down-to-earth cricketer. He took a wicket with his first ball in Test cricket, which actually is not a sign that you're going to go on to a big career. We can go through that list later. I think Keith Miller second on that list with 170 poles. So first ball in his Test match career against Sri Lanka. 
It's a boy from Young, via Canberra, then Adelaide, part of that ground staff, considered a, a T20 specialist at stages. Uh, to reach this milestone, I don't think would have been in anyone's imagination. Yet here we are. Here we are. And thoroughly deserved. And he's not done yet. He's not done yet. The man is virtually indestructible. Quite remarkable stamina for Nathan Lyon. It's such a vital cog in this bowling quartet. Uh, how they missed him in Manchester early this year. He bowls big overs. He bowls tight overs. Our own Darren Chuck Berry knew early on that this kid was different. Not just another flat offie. A man who can get over the top, get over the top, can rip it and dip it. And has developed over the years, Nathan Lyon, this ability, this ability to know what speed to bowl on what pitches in order to extract the most out of the surface. Very intelligent cricketer, a man very much in tune with his own craft. And now he joins Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath as the only men to have reached the 500 mark. Great to have your company on the program this Monday morning. Julian King in the chair for Summer Mornings 0457 736 736. Talking about unsung heroes on the program today. Back to your text in a moment. We're going to talk more cricket, of course, with Bryce McGain, former Test Risty, an SEN cricket expert after Australia comprehensively defeated Pakistan by 360 runs inside four days at Optus Stadium. He's here to decode it all. He's on the line right now. Morning, Bryce. G'day, Julian. And uh, look, the, the margin looks like a big one, but there's some positive signs for Pakistan in actual fact, I think. Well, let's start there then. I mean, they're two debutante bowlers. I heard Mark Warren commentary say, you know, one debutante, fine, but, you know, in this cauldron that is Australia, it's it's always a risk. Uh, they, you know, certainly they wasted the new ball on day one, but, you know, Jamar got the six, Shazad showed glimpses. So, so there are positive signs, some resilience in their batting, although it's, you know, some of the shot making, that, sorry, the decision making rather uh, left a bit to be desired. Yeah, it's a, it's relentless. Australia, in the, particularly that second innings, I thought the first innings they handled things pretty well, albeit a bit slow. They were resilient. Um, you know, they gave Australia a, a big challenge to get them out. Um, I, I guess it broke down after that. You know, the coaching staff have said, you know, they're hoping to develop the process that challenges the very best. And I think that, that's where I think the positive signs are, right? because they took some sessions off Australia throughout the test. Um, and it all became just a bit overwhelming in the end. Uh, Australia's pressure, they're just absolutely relentless. This is a, a bowling group that is in extraordinary success. But the positives were, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot to like there. I, you're right, they wasted the new ball early. They got a bit excited, um, and, and probably with the bounce and all that. Then they started pitching the ball up, and knocking Australia over by bowling them means you're pitching the ball up at the right length, and it's moving. We can expect the similar conditions to what we have in Perth at the MCG. Um, there will be bounce and pace. I know that sounds unusual for the MCG, but that's the way it's been playing for about two or three years now. Um, uh, the, the curators and the staff there have prepared a wicket that actually has this bounce and carry. So it'll be similar conditions. And I think they, they the bowlers improved their length and they, they, they got better as the game went on. As I say, the batting in the end, it became a bit overwhelming. But oh, they're the positive signs that I certainly saw, Julian. Mm -hmm. They need better returns from their attack leader, Shaheen Shah Afridi. But you talked about that pressure mounted by the Australian bowlers. Probably exemplified, wasn't it, Bryce, by that dismissal of Imam al Haku. He'd done all the hard work to dig the heels in and then just, you know, they get bogged down. And that is the building of pressure, isn't it? Lost his head, charged line and and gets out stumped. But the other thing, too, with that first dig, I mean, the amount of times that ball beat the bat, we thought, you know, some days you find the edges, other days you don't. And that sort of came to pass in that second innings. Um I hope 
at the moment, Bryce, that we appreciate how special this quartet is. It is going to go down as one of the great quartets in Test cricket history, not just Australian Test cricket history, but Test cricket history. If not the greatest. Uh, the sums are all coming in. Uh, Nathan Lyon, of course, ticking over 500 Test wickets. The rest have got big bags themselves. And it's the balance of the attack and what they all provide. A tall right arm uh, in terms of Hazelwood, then Cummins is a bit more skiddy. Um, and, you know, right at the very pointy end, number one in the world um, for many uh, for a long period of his life. Uh, Nathan Lyon, um, an off-spinner that survives in Australia because he's just found a solution to it. And he's cut his own path, really. He, he's, he's second to none in bowling off-spin in Australian conditions, and he's been highly successful all the way around the world. And, of course, then you've got the, the firepower left armour. So the, the balance of that attack is just incredible. And you add in that the all-round capabilities of Marsh as well, but that four, um, in terms of what they've been able to produce for Australia, is incredibly special. This team is great. They're number one in the world for a reason. And uh, you're right, we, we should be celebrating them. We kind of look for the, the fault in Australia a lot, don't we? And uh, But I think there's a lot to celebrate, not in the least uh, you know, Dave Warner on his swan song as well. We'll get to war in a moment. Obviously, Lyon, the man of, well, well, the man of the moment, I guess we can say. But, I mean, final test wickets, I saw a quote from Darren Berry in the early, early days. He said, there's something different about this guy. He rips it and dips it. You know, he gives gives it good ribs, gets over the top. So he's not your run-of-the-mill sort of flatter off-spin bowler. But, you know, in the early stage of his stages of his career, Bryce, would anybody in their wildest imagination have thought that he would get to 500 test wickets? No, I don't think so. And uh, it was a period, and uh, I know it well because I, I was running through it, but it was a period where Australia really didn't know what the spin role was after Shane Warne. So a lot of players mm. got tried in, in that. Um, you know, are they there con- to contain, take wickets? Um, and I guess it just took uh, the, the trust in a player um, to go and do those sort of things. Um, sometimes the spinners can be expensive, but Nathan Lyon's been able to protect himself well um, and he had to evolve early on when he had really favourable conditions. Sometimes he, he wasn't able to spin Australia to victory. But he evolved. He got better. And, uh, you know, it's his willingness and appetite to learn. And at, at, at 36, he's got many years ahead of him if he wants to do it. If he's, huh. if he's got that, clearly he's got the support of his family, you know, to hear his wife um, after the test match as well talk publicly and, and glowingly and uh, know that it's supporting. He spoke exactly the same, you know, his kids and... And everyone around him, he said, you know, he wouldn't be there if he hadn't had the love and support. And that's an important aspect when you get to that later stage in your career, I guess, um, that you have all that support to keep going. And, um, you know, I guess there was a question mark because he did do a calf, and uh, but he's bounced back. He's clearly done all the right work physically. I think he's he's better all round. It's not just his calf's improved in fitness, but I think he's just looking a bit stronger. He looks a bit fitter even a bit lean around the middle from where he was in the Ashes series. So there's a lot of things, this clear amount of work that he's doing. He's still got that appetite to, to be at the very best. Um, to credit to him, because bowling off-spin in Australia is incredibly difficult, particularly on these uh, these first-class and test wickets, where it really doesn't spin a whole lot. But, uh, you know, he's just found a way. He hits a length. He's, um, he's tremendous. He's been great for Australian cricket.
Yeah, and you know as well as anyone, Bryce, at 36 is not too old to play test match cricket. But, you know, looking at his stats, breaking down his stats, you know, for, for an off spinner, a finger spinner to have those returns on Australian wickets where other greats of the game do not is, is testament to his ability. But, but also, you know, his evolution into just reading a pitch, knowing when to speed it up, slow it down to extract the most out of it, just an intelligent cricketer. Spot on. And I had a stat Julian, too. That, that, that's the key. That is the key. Yeah. He's been adaptable. He's learnt. He bowls with a scrambled team when he goes to India. He learns. He watches. He observes. He's a, he's a curious cricketer. That's what makes him great. That's what makes him the best great. And it's uh, mm. great to be seeing that that evolution all the way along for 500 Test wickets. Pretty awesome. It is, and he's holding up so well. You know, who knows where the end point is? Pat Cummins said he could get to 700, and yeah, wouldn't put him past him at the moment. David Warner 164. Look, Mitch Marsh got Player of the Match 90 and 63. I thought Warner was a bit hard done by. I know he got the duck in the second innings, but you know, with that 164, he, he sets the whole game up. Well, the commentary group um, marked him pretty tough. I would have thought I was expecting him to win. That's where the game was won early yep. on. And, and it wasn't particularly easy. When the best balls got bowled, it was still a real challenge. Unfortunately, they didn't bowl, didn't bowl enough of them on that day one, particularly in those first couple of sessions. Uh, and, and the game really escalated away. And that was because of Dave Warner prepared to take it on and some audacious shots at times, some scoop shots and all sorts of stuff. But he, he played his way and... Uh, it, look, it, it did silence a lot of people. They had, had to eat some humble pie because, uh, you know, he, he delivered once again, um, you know, when he was under the most pressure. Quick one before we let you go. You know, Marnus at three, Smith at four. You know, Marnus looked a little bit scratchy. Smith is sort of getting starts, not going on with it. Is anything concerning you from what you've seen, albeit through a small sample size? No, not really concerning. Um, look, they're going to bowl some good deliveries. These are capable players. They've got good, solid first-class records. I think that's why what you touched at the start, two debutantes, maybe a few too many. Um, but it was the fact that they've had a good body of work behind them. They've played a lot of first-class trigger and been successful. So they, they added the extra batting depth. They had all-rounders in there. But, look, there's going to be some good balls bowled, and there certainly were. They, they did really well. I thought at times there's some positive signs there. And I think Pakistan will get better. The more familiar they get with it, they've been in the heat of the battle. There's no doubt the coaching staff will reflect on those types of good moments for them. So the, the Australians, look, they're going to get good balls, and, and they did do that. Look, uh, no concerns in that batting order. It'll be rock solid. They'll continue on, provided the bowlers are all fit and going. Um, it, it'd be an unchanged team, I would have thought, for the Boxing Day test. No, oh, certainly. So 15th straight test loss for Pakistan in Australia. He's hoping for a contest in Melbourne. Good on you, Bryce. Always good to chat. Thank you. Great to talk with you, Julian. Have a ripper day. And you. There is Bryce McGain, 0457 736 736. Nathan Lyon, you can't change anything. If Marnus was injured, the question is who would come in? I imagine they'd pick Green. That's fascinating. The other thing I said too, and Victorians won't like to hear this, but after he got admitted in the ashes... I said to my brother at times, I think Scott Boland has played his last test match. I know he's in the squad, but he's getting on. Lance Morris most certainly has leapfrogged him. So if one of the quicks went down, I reckon Morris debuts. I have a feeling, I don't know, as good as his Melbourne record is, that Scott Boland may have played his last test match for Australia. one 300 the open line number. Happy to take your call on anything and everything related to sport on the program today and keep those texts coming in. We'll rip through those after the break. 0457 736 736. You're on Summer Mornings. 
Great to have your company on summer mornings. Julian King in the chair, 0457 736 736. In light of David, no, David Lyon, <laughs> the, uh, the Wallabies and Waratahs back row. Anyway, Nathan Lyon is what I meant to say. Uh, 500 Test Wickets. Talking about unheralded, unsung, underappreciated sports stars on the program today. Jerome Luite, Tigers fans, happy with it? Penrith fans? How do you feel about losing one of your favourite sons? Matt from Coffs, morning to you, Matty. Jules Elephant in the room is if Steve Smith is now good enough to hold his place in the team. I'm Smudge's biggest fan. He simply isn't up to it anymore, in my opinion. You can see in his behaviour that he's struggling as such. Oh, I don't think he's not up to it. He's not the player he was, Steve Smith, four years ago. In fact, just on that, oh, I've got this stat in front of me, talking about the law of diminishing returns. And he, But it's, it's the manner of which he gets out. You know, the first innings, six-stump line sort of squared up. You know, the LB again. He never used to get out LBW. And he's seen his dismissals that never happened at the peak of his career. After 103 tests, Raul Dravid was averaging 58.55. Ended his career averaging 52.31. So six run drop. After 103 tests, Ricky Ponting's average was 57.72. Ended his career averaging 51.85. Another six there. After 103 tests, Tendulkar's average 58.46. Career average finished with 53.79. So almost a five-run drop. Smith's average at the moment after 103 tests is 58.36. And this is what I'm saying. It happens to everyone. Dravid, Ponting, Tendulkar, three modern greats. After 103 tests to the end of their career, their test average dropped by almost six runs. And Steve Smith, I fear, is on that same trajectory. Matt, thank you. Tiger Davo, Jules, I've got a horrible feeling the dogs are going to sweep in and get Jerome from under our nose. Oh, probably not, but until that is written and signed on the dotted line, you have every right just to feel a bit nervous about it. Now, fingers crossed we need a big fish. Good on you, Tiger Davo. And further to that, totally agree about Boland. Now, average in India, poor in England. I think Jai Richardson is the next best bowler if injury-free must be called up. I'm a massive Jai Richardson fan. Got a stack of injury problems, though. He's sort of stain-like, isn't he? He's quick, stump to stump. Lance Morris, I think, is going to be the next one up. So if one of the quicks falls over, even if it is in Melbourne, do they go bowling with his outstanding record there? Maybe. Probably will. But I just got this feeling he may have played his last test match. Scotty Boland. And I love Scotty Boland. He's a ripper bloke. A great story, too. Frank at Brisbane. Good morning to you, Frankie. Luai is a good player. I don't think he's worth the money. Remember, Cleary won the grand final, not Luai. His only advantage is having a coach who played similar to him. But the thing about it is you, you need that big cash, though, don't you, Frank, to lure them away from the best side in the Monet era to the Wooden Spooners. So you're going from rooftop to the basement. How else are you going to incentivize them? Big money, but be a chance to to write your own legacy at a new club and build something for future success. I wish him all the very best. But further to that, I mean, Benji said, okay, if you want to play seven and run the ship, go for it. It's all yours, which he hasn't done. He hasn't had a penalty to the point where Ivan even came out and said, oh, yeah, but, you know, can he do it? Can he do it? To which then Lou I on Instagram posted that, that fitty cent clip, you know, know your worth. So obviously he thinks he can and you don't ever knock anyone for having a go. Never knock anyone for having a go. Over the moon, says Dapto Tiger. Luai worth every penny. Penrith would pay the same if they didn't have Cleary. You don't know if they'd pay the same. But he's certainly highly valued there at Penrith. 
G'day, Shag. I don't know hello to you, Reptile. I don't know if you're across this. Did you see the welterweight contender in the UFC, Colby Covington? Disgraceful comments about the champion's dead father. I haven't seen it. I'd read about it. I've got to say, you know, it's that sort of stuff. that It puts me off UFC, Reptile. Disgraceful that all the UFC fighters have condemned the comments. I believe this contract should be torn up for this kind of behaviour. Uh, don't know often about it. Could be right. Breaking back with more. Welcome back, everyone. Second hour of the program, 0457 736 736. Very good morning to our friends tuning in via 1170am in Sydney, SENQ 693 in Brisbane, SEN 1620 on the Gold Coast and across the globe via the SEN app. I'll catch up with Nathan McAndrew from the Sydney Thunder shortly in the program. They take on Adelaide Strikers tomorrow. The Big Bash resumes. Like Aussie cricket is loving it. 360-run victors over Pakistan, consigning the visitors to their 15th straight test loss in Australia. They haven't won a test match in Australia since 1995. They're adamant they can turn it around for Melbourne. I spoke to Bryce Bagain, who thinks in terms of pitch conditions, we'll see something not dissimilar to what we saw in Perth. A few cracks open. I thought it was a good pitch. I thought it was a really good pitch. I don't see how Pakistan could win. But I'd love it to go five days. To the point where 2am Tommy says, Jules, just, just, you know, in case it doesn't go five days, just, just be ready in case you've got to jump on air for the fifth day. <laughs> said, I'm ready, my friend. I was born ready. And of course, all the celebrations, and rightly so, for Nathan Lyon. 500 test wickets, just the third Australian to do so, and the eighth person in history. The third Aussie after Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, but the eighth spinner, or the eighth, sorry, the eighth spinner, the eighth bowler in history to take 500 test wickets. But as has been mentioned in the nine pages this morning, those that are going to hit the 500 club will be rapidly diminishing. So it's a stack at the time. The last two to enter that club were Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Brawl, but they are now red ball cricketers. They don't play white ball cricket. How many cricketers in this day and age will be playing 100 test matches? We're seeing less and less test matches played. Obviously, you've got the big three, Australia, England and India, still lucrative for them to play test match cricket. Outside of those countries, it's not worth their while. So they've got to prop themselves up by playing as much T20 cricket as they can. So it's next generation of players. They're raised in an era where they hone their skills for the white ball stuff. How much test cricket? If somebody born in the last 10 years, how much test cricket are they going to play? In all honesty. Probably not 100 tests. So how many more players in the history of the game are going to get to 500 test wickets? Interesting thought. Really interesting thought. And we're talking about unsung heroes. Still, in, in some respects, underappreciated. Certainly not by his captain, Pat Cummins. But unsung and unheralded sports stars. Peach on the text line. Hello to you, Peach. Morning, Jills. Re-unsung heroes. Rambo, Ronnie Gibbs, Owen Cunningham, Matt Ballin. Am I seeing a theme? <laughs> Matty Ballin I can get behind. Played that one origin, didn't he, when Spithy was injured. Yet Rambo, Ronnie Gibbs, he played origin too. Pierce off, Jack Gibbs on with the headgear. And Owen Cunningham, that's not a bad shout. Oh, there's a lot of love for Matty Ballon on the text line, McHugh. Unsung hero, Matt Ballon, when he played for Manly. 180-something games straight, not underappreciated by his teammates. Well, that's the thing. The ones we go, I cannot go to battle without this person. G'day, Jules. Re-Luai signing. Imagine the powerhouse the West Tigers could have been had they embarked on at Campbelltown Way, similar course to what Gus initiated at the Panthers. Junior pathways, long-term plan, and most importantly, patience and a common purpose. It's never too late to start. My advice to the West Tigers, ditch the inner west as your local harbour, move to the southwest. Cheers, says Rufred from Concord. Well, you're thinking in a similar vein to Shane Richardson, who basically said, the interim CEO, this is our future. I love a pie and a reshers at Leichhardt as much as anyone, but this area is our future. And he's right. He's absolutely right. 
Jules, unsung heroes. Oh, we did that one. George from Busier, Harry Suter. Might get Maestro's opinion on that. And Gavin from Penrith. Uh, Julian, good morning. As much as I'm happy for Luai coming to my West Tigers, it's not for another year. I hate the idea of players being signed to other clubs so far ahead of time. He could do an Adam Dewey and bust his knee or shoulder and be damaged goods by the time season 2025 arrives. But if he does that, and this is what the Players Association have been banging on about, Gavin. For those, so, you know, he shouldn't be able to sign a year out. And I said, but it gives players a chance to ensure their future. You're talking of busting his knee. Do you remember when Cam McInnes signed from the Dragons to Cronulla a year out and then did his knee? Think about it is, if he was still at the Dragons, McInnes, hadn't signed with the Sharks, did his knee, did the Sharks sign him on the same money? Or did the Sharks sign him at all? That's the alternative consideration. There's no perfect system. And I don't want to get into the whole, you know, trade windows and signings and the rest of it again. But I can see it from both sides, Gavin. I can. It could happen. It's hard to mitigate against these sorts of things. I mean, you could twist it in training. But you don't sign them on the risk that, you know, a year out on the risk that they might injure themselves because it can happen. Of course it can happen. Good on you, Gavin. Uh, Ryan Hoffman at the Storm, says Dan, underappreciated players. And this one here, oh, another one, yeah. A lot of love for Matty Ballon this morning. Good morning, Matty, if you're listening. Uh, Craig, hello, Wild Panther. Regarding Luai, he's come out on Instagram saying he hasn't signed anywhere yet. That is correct. But if he does, as a diehard Panthers fan, good luck to him. It's been amazing for us with three premierships and a huge chance of a fourth before he leaves. Make the most money for your family whilst you can. Michael Chambers did a good feature piece on him back in 2020 sort of about his upbringing and, he, and his dad who, who got in a bit of trouble with the law and the rest of it. It's really fascinating. Just to give you an insight, I mean, I know he's often maligned Jerome Luai and you might say a couple of things that he said on Instagram that maybe he shouldn't have. I like Jerome Luai. He's a different cat. Wears his heart on his sleeve. But, you know, Shane Richardson who said, you know, Jerome Luai is the loveliest guy. Loveliest guy. And happy to have him at his club. And the thing about Luai, I mean, I don't know him. But strikes me as the sort of guy you'd love in your team, just the hype man that lifts up everyone around him. He'll be a huge loss at Penrith. And I feel sad in a sense, and yes, I wish him all the very best. He's securing his future, taking the big money off of the Tigers and, and challenging himself. But he was so quintessentially Penrith that saddens me when these players leave. I know it's the reality of modern-day professional sport, but it does sadden me to a degree to see that. Anyway, you got him for another year, and i tell you what, would you back against him getting four? Because you know he's going to be all in. I don't know if you saw that footage on the Nine Network of the Panthers at training. Arm in arm. It's like, I think it was the, when he finally revealed to his teammates and they said, I gave him the cheer and I said, okay, Romy, that's for you. Let's get one more before we go. Let's get one. And again, who's going to challenge Penrith? Brisbane? I'll wait and see. 0457736736. Andrew Gay's unsung hero. What he did for Australian basketball will never be able to get measured. Not unsung by a lot of us here in the network and those that have worked with Gazy over the time is a, a really special human being. And how emotionally he got to during the Olympics. They finally broke through, didn't they, for that, that bronze or rose gold, as they like to call it. And he's had a string of force and they've got so, so close. And this was that golden era, but they had every chance to do it. Daniel says, with regards to unsung heroes, Ryan Hinchcliffe for the Storm, underappreciated, always did a job, filled the role. Do you remember, oh, I'm trying to think what year it was, Daniel, where I'm sure they said it might have been a Roy Masters column, Ryan Hinchcliffe might have been an Origin Smokey. There you go. Unsung heroes. 
Pat Cummins said Nathan Lyon. I mean, we missed him desperately after he did his calf at England. Sort of bowler, give him the ball, well, 30 overs, hold down an end, take a couple of wickets, allow us quicks to rest and rotate. Really important cog in that machine, to use the captain's expressions. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number. And the text line, 0457 We'll catch up with Nathan McAndrew very, very shortly. He's been in good form this year, Nathan McAndrew. 30 years of age, I didn't realise he's that old. And he played for Oaks Flats. I'm going to ask him about that too, Nathan. The mighty Oaks Flats Rats. Try and say that 10 times fast. Famous. Uh, was that the home of the Lee Boys? Might have been as well. They might have played for them too. But unsung heroes, keep those options coming in. On 0457 736 736. Important game for the Thunder tomorrow night against Adelaide as they seek their first win for this Big Bash season. We just talked about Nathan McAndrew. He's been in a rich vein of form across all formats this season. Pleased to say he's on the line right now. Morning, Nave. How's it going, mate? Morning. Good, good. Okay. Oaks Flats. Is that home of the mighty Oaks Flats Rats from memory? Certainly is, yeah. One of the um, one of the better team, team names going around, I think. Um, it's so good. It's so good because I was catching. I was speaking the other week to former NRL.com editor. He's now with the Raw Paul Suttle, and he says, "Oh, mate, I'm about to play for the Mighty Oaks Flats." Right? said he couldn't help but mention, and I'll I'll, I'll raise this with him next time because I think he said the Lee Boys uh, played for them. Is that right, Nath? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Okay, but he didn't mention your name, so I'm just going to get him on the phone once we hang up, and I'll just uh, I'll admonish him. So next time he says, "Oh, g'day, playing for the Oaks Flats Rats." Uh, Lee boys played there, as did Nathan McAndrew. So there you go. I've added you to the list, Nath. You'd be pleased yeah. to know. Well, <laughs> now listen. I actually played a couple of games when I was a very young fella filling into grade with Paul. So, um, yeah, known oh, him you for did. a long time. I haven't seen him for a while, but known him for a long All time. Right. There you go. Small world. Hey, gee, you reflect on that first game against the Heat at Monica. Should have had it in that chase, Nath. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was... Obviously, a pretty reasonable total that they scored, but certainly, you know, roughly par. Um, and, you know, we still look good at different times, so we just couldn't quite get the partnerships we needed. Just kept losing wickets sort of at crucial times. So, yeah, that was a bit of a shame. We, we sort of feel like we let that one slip more so than we got beaten kind of thing, um, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, obviously pretty motivated to, to get a good win against the Strikers tomorrow night. Obviously, there's uh, there's fewer games in the Big Bash this season. It's going to be diminished even further next year. Does it change your mentality going into a game as now that, I guess, there's less chance to, to get it right if you drop a couple early? Does it sort of add more meaning to each match? Uh, yeah, potentially. I think at the end of the day, you go into every game trying to win every game you play. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you get off to a bad start, um, you lose two or three in a row in the 14 game format. There was probably still time to, you know, get on, get it sorted and get on a late run and, and still make the finals. Um, yeah, if you, if you lose two or three games to start the competition with only 10 games, you, you're going to be pushing it uphill to um, to get into the finals. So um, yeah, obviously I think the game's a must-win game, but um, yeah, we'll be certainly trying to bring some intent uh, to this game against the Strikers tomorrow night. What I find fascinating when it comes to putting together your list, uh, this idea of, of form more broadly. So not necessarily white ball form, red ball form, but ju- just form. So Cameron Bancroft, you know, has been outstanding in shield cricket. Uh, I spoke to Dan Christian, your assistant coach, last week, and they love sort of what he brings to the dressing room bangers in terms of experience and leadership. Uh, Liam Hatcher, Gorinda Sandu, uh, you know, they've had good starts to their season. But you yourself too, Nate, Australia race selection, you've got that 10 for against New South Wales. Uh, 
Do you feel that because you've been performing so well, the red ball, that it makes you a better white ball player, just in terms of how you feel the ball coming out? Yeah, 100%. Obviously, it's a different skill set. Um, you know, you're not exactly hitting a Yorker in, in red ball cricket, but um, for the most part, I think it's just confidence, really. Um, if you come in, you have, you've you taken three wickets in six shield games, you're probably not going to be feeling all that great about yourself, yeah. whereas um, obviously it is different formats. You have to adjust. It's, it's a slightly different skill set, but yeah, confidence goes a long way um, in this game. And, and, yeah, coming in after a good um, start to the Shield season has been, been great for me. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can keep contributing for the Thunder and have some big impacts for them. I think about some of your, your key hitters in that side, and I want to know how you go against them in the net. So when you're bowling to Ollie Davies or bowling to Alex Hales, uh, you know, do you just sort of brag about how many times you, you got them out in the net? Oh, it's pretty much none, to be honest, because they don't face bowlers in the net. <laughs> oh, what, just the wanger or something? <laughs> yeah, they just they just like the wanger. Um, they don't like getting too many short balls in the nets or anything like that. So, um, yeah, they just, they just usually face the wanger. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I can comfortably say I don't think I've got them out, but they haven't hit me for a six either. So, it's um, yeah, I don't really bowl to them much in the nets. Pakistan, of course, touring at the moment. Zaman Khan, he's a bit of a pace sensation. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's um, he's a live wire character. He, he doesn't speak um, fluent English, but it's a bit broken English. So, uh, but he's he's just really really energetic. Um, he's he's loving his opportunity over here, and yeah, he's got a, a very unique action. Slings the ball and, and can swing the new ball and, and bowls in incredible Yorkers. So he's um, you know similar to that sort of Lassif Malinga type action. So he's yeah. uh, he's box office. I think everyone. The first time people see him bowl, they, they go, oh, wow, that's that's different. So um, I think that's one of the great parts of the Big Bash is embracing difference in, in all sorts. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what he what he does for us throughout the tournament. This young rising star from New South Wales, Nate, Sam Constas, uh, we saw him make his first-class debut the other day. He signed, I think, just to add a bit of squad depth. Uh, Kerry O'Keefe spoke glowingly about the ceiling of this kid. Can you tell us much about him? To be honest, mate, I, I, I could but I'd be lying. I've, I've really not seen him bat once at all, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, no, that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, yeah, just obviously got back into Sydney and, and haven't played against him in Sydney grade. And then uh, the first week of our Thunder prep, he was down in Adelaide playing a, a second 11 game. So I've, I've not seen anything, but I, I have heard some very, very glowing endorsements from a couple of our assistant coaches and a couple of our players who are, uh, with him at New South Wales. So, yeah, obviously some pretty big raps on a very young kid. So, um, yeah, apparently they, they just think he's going to be a star. They think he's got the mindset, the temperament to um, to handle it all at a, at a young age, which is incredible. I look back to myself as an 18, 19-year-old player and I was still an opening batsman wasn't even bowling at that age. So I just mm-hmm. I, I marvel at some of the young players and, and what, they, what they're able to do physically, but also just mentally and, and being able to walk into... A professional setup and and have the confidence in themselves from day one. So, um, pretty remarkable to be honest. So, yeah, I think from all reports, he's got a pretty big future ahead of him. Well, I mean, for cricketers that went from New South Wales to South Australia, Nathan Lyon just got five hundred Test wickets. So it's not a bad week uh, for cricketers like yourself, uh, Nathan. Now, I spoke as I mentioned to Dan Christian on the program last week. Cricket dressing rooms are, I guess, egalitarian. You know, no one's bigger than anyone else. Is it true? Confirm or deny? that Chris Green, after he made his Australian debut, had sort of just managed to maybe flash his Australian kit to his Thunder teammates? 
Uh, I haven't seen any any because uh, <laughs> he's just dead set thrown him under the bus, Dan Christian. Oh, right. airplay for Australia! Okay, well, just in the you know the boot of the car. Oh, look, this happens to be my Aussie kit sitting in the boot of the right. car. Right. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I was I was down in Canberra playing the Prime Ministers game when they sort of came together as a group in Sydney. So I um I missed that earlier earlier stuff, but I let's just say I wouldn't put it past him. That sounds very very on trend. Yeah, but he's the captain. I'm not sure. He's not sure if you can bring it up with him. Uh, Adelaide tomorrow night. A very good side played in Adelaide. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough too. They've got some big hitters. The two short boys at the top of the order. Yeah, they're obviously a, a very quality side. Um, they've got a lot of a lot of depth, a lot of versatility as well, a lot of all rounders. Um, so yeah, they're going to be dangerous. They play their home conditions really well. But uh, you know, we've had a pretty good record against them down here. We we lost to them last year, but before that, we've had a fair bit of success down here at Adelaide Oval. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be a great game. I think, you know, being the strikers' first home game after having a washout, I think the, the crowd will be out in force to support them. They get great support down here. So, yeah, hopefully it's a, hopefully it's a great game and we get a good atmosphere. And you can catch that live on SEN tomorrow night. Thank you so much, Nathan. Best of luck for the Thunder against Adelaide. Hopefully you can get your season off to a start. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. There he is, Nathan McAndrew from the Sydney Thunder. As we said, you know, you go on every game trying to win, but they are—they do have more meaning, don't they? Fifty-six games down to forty, further reduced next year. Remember the Mighty Oaks, Flats, Rats. I'm going to have to flick Paul Sutter a text message saying, "Next time you come on, so I'm going to play for the." Oh yeah, by the way, home of the Lee Boys, home of the Lee Boys, and Nathan McAndrew. I might add. Those texts are starting to fly and talking about unsung heroes on the program today. Uh, Sam is from Sullivan. Sam Constance, cracking bat for an 18-year-old. Yeah, I, mean, I hadn't seen him play, but you know, I value the analysis and the opinion of Kerry O'Keefe very, very highly. And so this kid is a star. You know, he is baggy green bound. And I know we don't like to put that sort of pressure on this early in their career, but you can tell normally, can't you? So Sam Constance, one to watch, and we'll see. If he does at some point during Big Bash 13 make his debut for the Lime Green of the Sydney Thunder. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. Uh, Rooster Mars, it's Oak Flats, not Oaks. Did I say Oaks? I might have put inadvertently put the S in front of me. Sorry, Oak Flats. Apologies, Rooster Mars. If I am wrong, feel free to correct me. The home ground is Jeff Shaw Oval. They play in the South Coast Cricket Association. The youngest Lee brother, Grant, looked like being better than Shane and Brett. Didn't go on with it. There's always one of those, isn't there? Oh, but the other one is actually better. But you didn't go on with it. Oak Flats Rats. The Oak Flats Rats. Say that ten times fast. Proud Cricket Club. Breaking back with more summer mornings. Football Australia today announced that the Combank Matildas will play Uzbekistan at Melbourne's Marvel Stadium Wednesday, 28th of February next year. So Melbournians will show up to the opening of an envelope, won't they? They'll turn out in droves. We'll see more there at Marvel for the Matildas of Uzbekistan than we saw on average per day at Optus Stadium for the first test. This is the AFC Women's Olympic Football Tournament um, Asian Qualifiers, so round three of the Asian Qualifiers. Tickets to the Clash will go on pre-sale for football account holders today at midday, Eastern Daylight Time, 11 o'clock in Queensland. The general public ticket windows open Wednesday, 20th of December, and tickets via Ticketmaster prices will start. $20 for juniors, $25 concession, $35 for adult, $90 bucks for a family, so I think that's pretty reasonable. See what is one of the hottest tickets in town, the Matildas, after that. We all rode that wave of success during the FIFA Women's World Cup. So this February window for women's internationals, it'll see Australia and Uzbekistan. They'll play two matches, so that'll be home and away. Round three of the Asian qualifiers, as mentioned. And the winner of the two-leg tie will become one of Asia's two representatives 
in the 12-team field for the prestigious Paris 2024 Women's Olympic Football Tournament. So there's a lot riding on this. A lot riding on this. James Johnson, he's the Football Australia CEO, said, In 2023, we witnessed a special connection between the Matildas and the Australian public with 11 straight sold-out home matches and record broadcast audiences. We are confident that we will build on that connection in 2024 and this fan fervour will be a vital factor when we welcome the team for the first home international of the year against Uzbekistan. The fierce backing of Victorians was evident in 2023. We're looking forward to seeing them again. Yeah, they'll turn out. It sort of has to be in Melbourne, doesn't it? It has to be in Melbourne. 0457 736 736. Steve says, Jerome Luai, good guy. Are you serious? Seen his speech at teammate Brian Totwell's wedding. Tosser Deluxe shows his IQ. Just because you say some silly stuff sometimes doesn't make you an inherently bad person, Steve. People that I know that know him and what he does in the area, I think he's got a heart of gold. Damien says, I can only stream the cricket on free-to-air TV. It's not even included in the broadcast deal this year. I, I did get clarity on this, Damien, because I watched by Fox. Is that right? Am I right in saying that if you don't have terrestrial television, you can't watch the cricket on Channel 7? So you've got a smart TV, you open the 7 Plus app, you can't stream it. That is absolutely absurd. How many people are you cutting off from the broadcast as a result of that? Andrew, 2024, I know you love your Eagles. Is the year of the Seagulls, Jules? Something building out of the northern beaches? Lockie Croker, our current unsung hero. A lot of manly love. A lot of manly love. I'm surprised I haven't heard more from our Queensland faithful. But as I say that, thank you, Lee, for writing in this morning. Past players, Johnny Plath. Present-day Kurt Mann. I spoke to Kurt Mann on the program last week. Proud Queenslander. I kind of said, well, you know, Ben Hunt retires. He's a genuine utility. Can play lock. Can play centre. Play fullback. Play 5'8". Play dummy half. Because Kurt Mann, if he's informed, an origin smoky. I got laughed at. I got laughed at. Just saying. John Platt's son, Max, of course, made his NRL debut this year for the Mighty Dolphins. Mighty Dolphins. What about Brady Plowman? And Locker Maranta. I know we're sort of veering off into father-son areas, but Johnny Plath, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. I'll see you, Johnny Plath. And my favourite Dragons team, sort of from the early to mid-90s, what about the Penguin, Graham Bradley? Excellent player. Excellent player. Uh, Steve from Arachnabil. For me, Paul Taylor in the early 80s of Parramatta Jewels, extremely underrated in a very impressive team as well. Also, what was bigger this weekend? The cricket goat getting his 500th yesterday or the racing goat going out the way he did at Ascot on Saturday? You're talking about Damien Oliver. It was nice to see Ollie get a win on his final ever ride. I think 500 test wickets is a bigger achievement. And think about Oliver, and I haven't really talked about this, and people probably don't like to mention it or bring it up, but I keep harping back to his ban, Damien Oliver. Disqualified for 10 months. Eight months, with, I think, two months after that, he was allowed to return to, to track work. And he admitted to placing a a $10,000 bet on a rival horse in a race in which he rode in 2010. I mean, for the sport of racing, with integrity relies on... The whole sport is built on gambling money, right? So integrity is very cool. If I'm backing a horse in a race to find out that the jockey's on someone else, that is serious. And in all honesty, for him to get eight months was laughable. And I like Damien Oliver. But let's call it for what it is. I mean, that was an absolute joke. He was lucky he didn't get a lifetime ban, Damien Olive, for that. one 300 The open line number, news headlines. 
After carrying the hopes and dreams of Australian soccer through 2023, the Matildas are going to keep the theme going by doing their media event today in the home of the Matildas' weight room and tweeted a photograph of it. <laughs> well, at least you won't have the issue there, Joey, of, you know, the, uh, the signage in the background getting blown over by the wind. That happens frequently when it's done outside, so it could be a masterstroke. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 the open line we go. Greg, good morning. Good morning, Jewel. You're unsung heroes, hmm. none of whom has been mentioned yet because you don't know their name. <laughs> they are the people that work in the background, the, uh, the club secretaries, the, uh, the record keepers, the historians that actually keep the story of their clubs going. And they do it purely and simply out of the love for the club. Correct. Correct. Yeah, volunteers, parents that drive their kids every weekend, you know, those that get up in cricket, you know, that, that get up in the rain and, and pull the covers on and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. You know, they're the lifeblood of, of sporting clubs nationwide. Without them, the clubs don't exist. It, and it's, sadly, yeah. it's, it's getting harder and harder to find people to do those jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are... This is a thing, isn't it, Greg? It's sort of emblematic of the time we live in where we're time poor, everything's moving so quickly that a window to, to, I guess, partake in these sorts of things is either diminishing, but maybe also our interest in our will and desire to do so, which is really sad because sport is community. This is what I love about my job is that speaking to people like you and reacting on the text line, people that I would converse with or interact with, Greg, more often than most members of my family because it, it's about social cohesion. It gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. And I don't want to sound, I guess, you know, sentimental here, but I think the point stands. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And to the point where we're going to find it difficult in years to come to find... Uh, Sports able to hang on because of the uh, the lack of, of input from the community into those various sports to keep them going. I mean, in my sport, clubs disappear on a regular basis for for one reason or another, and their stories go with them. Yes, and you can't get back history, can you, Greg? That's the no, sad you can't. part about it. No, you cannot. Yeah. Well, see, no, I just it's want, really yes. bad. But yeah, they're, the, they're the true unsung heroes, Jules. Yeah, perfectly said. Uh, just on on football, very quickly. Somebody said Harry Souter. Greg is an unsung hero. I don't know if he's that unsung though. Harry, he's sort of front oh, and center. Mate, he's, he's, yeah, he's not unsung, not in any way, shape, or form. He is. He's the lifeblood of that team at the moment. He really okay. is. All right. What about this one, right. Vinny Grella? <laughs> Mad Vinny. Uh, <laughs> I love him. Love him. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a way. But I'm sure there are people people like, like Ray Richards and uh and Jimmy Rooney who were the the, uh, the the heart of the engine room of the Australian football team going back decades and decades. Yeah. You know, just on that, I had a memory, vague memory, and you might correct me here, Craig Foster played briefly for Northern Spirit. I used to go sit on the hill there at North Sydney Oval and and they used to call him some of the fans that goes to walks and they go, oh, was Fozzie playing, was he? And you look at his, his numbers and possession and, you know, how he intercepts and transition. with it. okay, so he, he's, he's, he's contributing if you don't necessarily notice it firsthand. Yeah, it's, it's people like Foz that, uh, and, and like in, to bring it into current parlance, um, people like uh, Kyra Cooney-Cross, for instance, with the Matildas, who, mm. you know, 
they do the work in the background, they make the tackle, they they give that first pass that sets things up, but they're not at the pointy end of things. Yep. Bus, can't do it without him. Great to chat, Greg. No, Thanks, Jules. Have a great day. Thank you, mate. You too. Uh, Bondi Jack, thank you for correcting me. You know, as soon as I said it, and I always do it, and I give myself an uppercut, it's uh, Warwick, Warwick Nabil, not Warwick Nabil. I always read it, and the reason I know every time I say it, I get it wrong is my dad's name is Warwick, Bondi Jack. So I promise you from now on, I'll endeavour to get it right. On the other side of the break, we'll catch up with 2am, Tommy. Lee on the text line says, Jules, the 49ers getting tested, Cowboys getting thrashed. Thank you, Lee. I'll do an NFL update shortly. And of course, you can catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZONE, NFLGamePass.com. Well, for the first time today, let's throw the coinage on the table. Hello, Tommy Two Cents. Morning, Jules. Alex, all the listeners out there, great to be part of the show. Unsung heroes. I said, why don't we do that? You know, Nathan Lyon still maybe underappreciated in some circles. And then I jokingly, not jokingly, said to you, hey, Allah Mitch Orbison. I thought you'd like that shout. Yeah, good shout. I'll do another one for the Roosters back in the day. In, um, important cog of that 2013 team. Played every game that season. Daniel Mortimer. Yep. Unsung off the bench. People hero. forget off that, the bench, don't they? Yeah, he was a utility off the bench. Filled in um, during the origin period. Um, just all-round great guy too, Daniel Mortimer. So he's a little oh. unsung hero too, a little bias there. But unsung hero, Daniel Mortimer. Okay. Do you think this Melbourne test is going to go five days or am I going to get the call saying just be on standby? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say yes. I'll say yes, we'll go five days. And then the only reason the Sydney test will go five days is because there'll be rain um, throughout the whole test like there always is with the Sydney test. Meister on the text line, Tommy is an unsung hero. Uh, you've officially earned yourself a two-week ban on the text line, Maestro. Uh, I got excited you. when I saw that, and then I saw who sent that in. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you don't even, just because it's him. Jimmy Smith is my favourite, talking about Tommy, because every time he mentions the morning show, he has a, a dig at Tom and how much Tom is, is on the airwaves. So I, I'd like to counter that with a recognition of all the hard work that Tom does put into the show behind the scenes. Oh, thanks, Alex. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, Jules, man of the match, who should have got it in the first test? I'm, I like that they went with Mitch Marsh, got his 90, then 60, got that important wicket above our arm. But Jules, if you don't, I, I know you said it should have been David Warner and one of Australia's greatest ever players and SEN host Ian Healy also agreed with you. He had, he had this to say on SEN Melbourne this morning with Simon O'Donnell and Sam Edmund. I would have put him man of the match. Who did? Yeah, man of the match. Uh, um, Mitch Marsh. Right. No, well, I mean, depends who, who was selecting it, I suppose, and the eye they have for the game. But, you know, when I found out how difficult those conditions were on day one, and yeah. they took a bit of a punt, and what the commentators had said pre-match about this pitch, oh, it'd be great for bowling, um, oh, I would be putting David Warner as man of the match. So there you go, George. You've got an ally yeah. in Ian Healy. Well, Heels just texted me before and said, Jules, I wholeheartedly agree with your assessment that it should have been David Warner. That's it. I mean, first day, he set the, set the match up with 164. Yeah. You know, I know uh, Mitch Marsh came in and, and got the 90, but, you know, without that 164, I mean, who knows? But you come in in different match conditions, different kind of pressure on your batting. Uh, yeah, okay, got the duck, and, and Marsh, his contribution was great, but Warner's knock was more important. Yeah, that's in fair enough. In the context of the game. That's fair enough. Um, some more history as well. Mitchell Stark just became the fifth player to take 200 test wickets in Australia. 
Joined yep. Dennis Lilly, Nathan Lyon, Glenn McGrath, and Shane Warne. Again, you and Bryce spoke about it this morning, but just there's so many, and the breakfast guys spoke about it as well. Like there's so many different storylines in terms of greatness when you talk about this team. Like David Warner, one of our greatest openers. You know, Steve Smith, arguably the best since Bradman. You've got that bowling lineup of Lyon, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. I mean, I said it last Friday how we shouldn't really take this team um, for for granted. And I really hope that the Australian public isn't. However, you did mention kind of the low crowds that have been, you know, a talking point when it comes to Optus Stadium. So how many, so it was just over four, just under 15,000 averages out per day, 59,125 fans across the four days. However, if you go back to when the last time Pakistan played in Australia, it was the 2019-2020 series, or just they were here in 2019, they opened the series playing against Australia at the Gabba, as they always do. And that the day nighter? Was it the day nighter? Yeah, and that lasted only four days. Now, in yeah. that match, Australia won by an innings and five runs. Manus got 185. So Pakistan bowled first, bowled out for 240. Then Australia um, put on a total of 580. And then Pakistan were bowled out for 300, 335 runs. Um, so they were not a great test match. And only 45,891 fans showed up. Huh. So 4,825 fans on that last day. So maybe if it's not, you know, I don't want to stick up here for Optus, but just Optus Stadium and the, the crowds in Perth, but just providing some context, it just seems like Pakistan isn't a major draw card. However, I still think they'll get a massive crowd in Melbourne and I still think they'll get a big crowd um, for the New Year's test. But just well, providing some context. Well, they always there. do. I mean, it's a Boxing Day test. You'll get you know, 80,000, 90,000 on their first day. You're right, they're not a huge draw card. But the thing about it is it's not so much Pakistan, but I mean, it's not a school day. You're not playing club cricket. It's potentially the last day of the test and you get the chance to see Nathan Lyon claim his 500 test wicket and they could only muster, what, 9,000 odd for mm. Sunday. And another thing, they had Usman, like we were batting for major, nearly majority of the day. Yeah, Usman was still in going for a test century. Mitch Marsh was yeah. in going for a, hopefully another test century. He got out. I mean, there was still a lot to play for. Like when you, when day start, when play started on day four, you probably might have thought, oh yeah, this will go into day five. Maybe you'll finish inside a session day five. So there still should be, still will be a lot of action for day four. So I agree. Really, still really disappointing for the crowd at, at Optus Stadium. But just providing some context, there were some pretty poor fans back in Brisbane in 2019 as well. <laughs> And good morning to our friends well, I, listening. Again, I just, don't to whole, I just don't no, want to be a whole Perth bashing segment. And I'm not trying yeah. to you know, downplay but our Queensland listeners, but I'm just providing some context for it all around. Well, it it's going to be before. fascinating. So, so the Gabba test is, what, 24th of Jan, back in a January against the West Indies. That's a day-nighter. So that's going to be fascinating to see who shows up for that. And maybe it's because they've got to do the whole knockdown rebuild, aren't they? So... You might then see a boost in the crowds. With that as a factor, I don't know. And you're right. I mean, Pakistan on a draw card. Well, West Indies are certainly not a draw card. But yes. it's a problem. It's yeah. a real problem. This is a thing. I mean, the traditional start of the summer was always the Gabba Test. And kind of the point of Cricket Australia said, well, if you're not going to give your ground a facelift firstly, and if you're not going to show up, then just use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Adelaide will show up. Yeah, so the, the, f- the first test is at Adelaide Oval, um, January 17th to the 21st, and then the second test is the 25th to the 29th, and that's the day night yeah. at the Gabba. So that will start at mm. 3 p.m. Um, Daylight savings time, 2 p.m. 
Queensland time. So yeah, so Australia Day. So traditionally the Australia Day fixture was Adelaide. Yes. So now they're shifting it to Brisbane this year. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Tommy is the best. Insightful, creative, knows his NRL. By the way, I accept gift cards. Tommy says Rooster Man. Now stricken Rooster Man because you're a Rooster fan as well. Keep on sending in the compliments. Keep on sending in the compliments. I'll read them out. I'll get Jules to read them out all day. I'll make sure he does. Uh, Why don't we just print them? Print them (laughs) before you can read them on the train trip home. Reading out the bloody Tommy Loving for the next hour on the program. Thank you very much. Uh, That's all from me, Jules. I'll I'll speak again with you next hour. We can break down this Jerome Luai move to the West Tigers if it's a good deal for both Penrith and for the Tigers. And if you want to give a rap to Tommy, by all means, but I can't guarantee they'll read them out. And that does defy my rule of doing my best to read out every text sent on into the program. Stewie from Cronulla, good morning to you. I love this. Unsung heroes. Wally Fulton-Smith. I'll not mark you down for not putting the hyphen in that name there for Fulton-Smith. Um, Fullerton-Smith, I should say correctly, Stewie. And Mick Pittman. Yeah, you're taking us back. There's some great names. Proud Queenslander, of course, Wally Fulton-Smith. Uh, Zach Stubble D. Cook wins goal, can't get out of the Golden Girls, the swimming's shadow. Yeah, I don't know if he's an unsung hero, he's Olympic gold medalist. Just John Eels counts as Daniels. Larkin, Burke, Rothschild and Gregan got the credit. No, he got the credit, John Eels. He's the captain, one of the greatest Wallabies in history. I don't think he's an unsung hero, John Eels. And Owen Finnegan was the last Australian of theirs, maybe an unsung hero, to score a World Cup winning try in a Rugby World Cup final. I remember that, it was against France in 1999. And I watched it at the North Point Tavern in North Sydney. It's amazing. It's almost one of those where were you moments. 0457 736 736. And Curdo from Liverpool. Morning, Jules. Unsung heroes. Dylan Edwards. They re-signed him on big coin. He made his Australian debut. I would agree with that, Curdo, say, two years ago. Not now. Very much entrenched in the spotlight. And one of the elite, elite fullbacks and players, indeed. In the game. Thank you. Keep them coming in on 0457 736 736. And have it to take your calls as well. Free call on the open line 1300 01 1170. Chris Rea, driving home for Christmas, a perennially popular Christmas tune. It was recorded in 1986, went to number 53 on the UK singles chart a couple of years later. And then since 2007, 
This song has re-entered the UK top 75 each year around about Christmas time, as well as several other European countries listing. So Chris Rea wrote the song a lot of years before he first recorded it. And in fact, the idea came to him when he was stuck in heavy traffic heading out of London. He was driving his wife's Austin Mini with the prospect of a long drive to his hometown of Middlesbrough ahead. And he told BBC Radio 4's Today program, Driving Home for Christmas is a car version of a carol. So you might say this is a Christmas tune, a shout-out to our listeners tuned in on the roads today and safe travels in this Christmas period. So there you go. Hard to top, isn't it? We've kicked off our final week before Christmas. We've got to play a Christmas song today with an absolute beauty. Banger, says 397. Uh, can we get this man a prize? An absolute banger, Chris Rea. And I have said my Chris Rea die straight jokes many, many times on the <laughs> network over the years. You should know it by now. I won't repeat it, but if you don't, just Google die straights joke Chris Rea. We'll catch up with Alex Brosk from SEN's The Global Game shortly on the program to look at all the A-League and Premier League action. Greenkeeping Rooster got in touch and he said, uh, where's it gone? If it wasn't for Tommy, us Roosters contributors wouldn't have a voice and we would be subjected to Dragons Radio. Wrong. Wrong. You know me, Greenkeeping Rooster, read them all out. There are so many Roosters fans. So many Roosters fans. And we are talking unsung heroes on the program today. It's a very good morning to our friends in Sydney, 11.70am in Brisbane, SENQ693, the Gold Coast, 1620. Have you got your Christmas shopping done yet? Unsung heroes. Good morning, Jules. The Parramatta Rugby League players who are a member of Premiership winning squads. Steve Sharp, Paul Taylor, Stan Jurd. Michael Mosley, David Lydiard, Graham Atkins, Graham Oling, Lou Platts. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. Neil Hunt, Steve McKenzie, Jeff Bugden. And don't forget John Money, unheralded coach who won in 86. Well, that's a thing. I mean, off the back of Jack Gibson. You know, it's like playing after Hendricks, isn't it? Batting after Bradman. And he did win the comp in 986. That's nice, too. It's not just about the Sterlings and the Kennys and the prices and growths of this world. Absolutely. I like this one from you, David. Jules, unsung heroes, Bruce Laird, Australian Open in the World Series cricket super test of the late 70s, early 80s, never took a backward step against a mighty West Indies pace attack. They acknowledged his bravery, saying he was one of the toughest players they played against. Scored a few magnificent centuries in the super test. Ian Chappell said that the super tests were the toughest games he played. Says a lot about Laird's ability. Bang on. Greg Chappell said the same thing. Toughest cricket he's played. Did Stumpy ever score a... I don't know if he ever scored a test century, but he got three or four hundreds in World Series cricket. And the great Clive Lloyd, who was the West Indies captain, said it was really simple. Because you think about that that pace battery, you know, Garner and Roberts and, and Holding and the crew. He said, well, it's really simple. If you can score runs against us, if you score runs against us, you're a good player. one 300 Hello, the bag. Yeah, good morning, Julian. How are you going? For what it's worth, I'm a Rooster supporter, so we do get a bit there of a gallop on this game. I yeah, feel like I've um, ganged up. Oh, well, you know, that's well, that's usually what I'm going to, Balmain style. But uh, just a Luai contract. Mm. Um, interesting around that with the new board coming in, of course, much publicised, and Shane Richardson, the smart bloke. But how much opportunity have they had to look over it? Like, where is this decision? Is it the old board, the new board? And uh, it, it's pretty big money. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. Um, but I suspect it was in the works anyway. Uh, I can't imagine it's all been done in a week, so it would have been in the works anyway. And these conversations have been ongoing, right? Um, as for... Look, the thing about it is, the bag, is that if you've been the Wooden Spooners for two years and Benji Marshall thinks that, you know, he's... you know, Who was an 
an idol of Jerome Lewis, thinks that he can offer him something that maybe he can't get at Penrith, then you've got to go big. You've got to go overs, don't you, to, to get these players. And sometimes you just need well, that as kind of the first domino to fall. Well, it's how much money's then left over for somebody else. And I understand, yeah, if you've got to track somebody there to the club, and arguably if the Bulldogs are in the race, it must be around the money. But ultimately, the new board's going to be held accountable for what looks to be a five-year decision. Like Five years is a yeah. long time for a contract. It is. It is. I mean, look, you had Ola Kautu for eight and Tino for ten, Taumalolo for ten, so it's not unheard of. But sometimes, as we said, you need these huge contracts to get them over the line. That That is the carrot. And, and as I said, I mean, you're not holding a lot of cards if you've been back-to-back wooden spooners, right? So then what's the incentive there? Security is the main incentive. And then, of course, the chance to be part of, of uh, I guess, cementing your legacy and rebuilding the club. Well, you see where Ange Postacoglu, on a different note, he, he goes to clubs that need to be rebuilt. So I, I guess it's a, it's a question of your character, isn't it, is that you're willing to take on that challenge. So, yeah, well, watch with interest, I suppose, Julian. It'll be fascinating. You know, I wish him well. I, I quite like the Tigers. I don't want to see them down the bottom. You know, they can sometimes be punching bags, and you hear it a lot with reaction on this network. But I, I don't know if it's a team that people particularly hate, and, and I hope they go well. I've got a lot of time for Benji Marshall. He's up against it, no question. But I'd love nothing more than to see an improvement from the Tigers this year. Just not at the expense of my Dragons to back. That's the only rider. <laughs> well, see how they go. Well, the, the question comes around is that how much talent is actually out there in rugby league to fill all the teams that, that are running around. But uh, yeah. I think it's going to be a few years before the Tigers kick on. Yeah, it's, look, you know, I think the fans acknowledge that. They just want to see an improvement. How, getting off the bottom of the table would be a start. Thank you, Bag. I've got to fly Thank you. Good on you, mate. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 I don't recall Bruce Laird scoring three or four World Series tons. He's 92 batting with Chappelle. He definitely scored... I'd have to look up the stats. He's definitely... I'm sure he scored three of them. Bon look, I'm a little hazy. It was, you know, I'm going off the records and what I've read and heard. It was a bit before my time, but I shall check that for you. Dan, Andy Bickle in 2003 World Cup in South Africa. Very likeable individual. And Adam, just before we get to Alex Brosk, if Manly had won all the grand finals they made, they would have won 19 premierships, eight won it, and no wooden spur. Yeah, if's a little word and a big word. You can't coast on that, Adam. Oh, but if. If we hadn't come last, we wouldn't have been last. The point is, they didn't win all the grand finals they made. What a strange thing to say. Love your work, though, Adam. Thank you. 0457 736 736. Time to talk the round ball code on the program with Alex Brosk, former Sydney FC captain and global game host, is on the line right now. Hey, Brosky. Hey, Jules. How are you, mate? Pretty good, mate. Talking sort of unsung heroes today, because Nathan Lyon, 500 test wickets, you know, people perhaps don't appreciate his role in this team still. Uh, somebody mentioned in the Socceroos, unsung hero would be like a... a, a Harry Suter, I thought, oh, it's probably a bit harsh on Harry. And then somebody mentioned the Batildas, Kyra Cooney Cross. Can you think of, you know, somebody in your playing days or, or growing up watching that you thought was maybe a, an unsung hero of a football side? Oh, it, it, you know what position it is, rather than actual person. It's always the for me the number the number six. You know, the guy who sits just in front of the defence. They're the guys who break up a lot of play. And look, again, I'm not calling this guy an unsung hero by any means. He's, he's a fantastic player. Uh, but Vince Grella, when you look at that golden generation, a lot yes. of people talk about your Tim Cahills and Lucas Neals and Harry Kules. And, and Vinnie Grella was, uh, he was the engine of that side and just broke up play so well, got things going. His ability to find a pass and get the ball to you, 
your Cahills and your Kules and guys like this and Bresciano's to, to do their magic. Uh, but he was a guy I loved watching. I'm so glad you mentioned that. We had a caller, Greg, who's a football aficionado, rang me in the last hour of the program, and I sort of tossed up Finney's name there, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Vindicated my suggestion. <laughs> and from that era, maybe maybe the old bus driver from Wollongong, Scotty Chipperfield as well, you know, yeah, wasn't necessarily spoken of in the, in the same breath as some of those superstars. Melbourne victory, three, Sydney FC, nil, the big blue. What's, what's your read on the Sky Blues at the moment, Broski? You know, the thing about it is not necessarily getting the results, but it, it's... You know, you look at some of the numbers and the stat sheets, the 68% possession, 20 shots to the victories, 12. I, I still get the feeling that maybe towards the back of the season, they will just put it together and the results will come. Look, and, and I agree with your thoughts there, but I'm look, it is worrying when you look around the league and other teams, uh, you know, while probably not playing anywhere near to their best, they're still picking up results. And I, I look at Wellington, you know, I look at what they're doing and I, I don't feel like they've been anywhere near their best. They haven't really controlled any games. They haven't had many chances on goal, but they're finding ways to still get something out of the game. And, and they're fourth or fifth. They've got a chance to go top tonight if they beat MacArthur. So Sydney, while they're controlling games, playing, you know, reasonably well in possession, they've just, they're not clinical at all. They don't look threatening at all going forward. And that's why I'm a little bit worried, you know, because the longer you leave it to start picking up points, yeah. the harder it gets and the more you're chasing. So I've got no doubt they'll get it together eventually, but we are going to need to start seeing some more from your Fabio Gomez. There's Robert Mack, who was great last year. These guys need to start scoring and, and scoring quickly. You know, you look on the other side of that field and fornaroli has got 12 goals now in, in eight games and just... Uh, an incredible presence up front and mm. always looks threatening when when they go forward. So Sydney don't have that at the moment. So, I, I, again, I've got no doubt they'll get it together. Um, it's just a little bit frustrating to watch at the moment. Well, they say winning's a habit, don't they? You mentioned their form role, rich vein of form. Daniel Azani got on, on the score sheet. Just just a quick word. You've been watching me a bit more closely than I have, uh, Broski. You know, he was, of course, anointed the next rising star of Australian football. Um, where is he at the moment in terms of his game, and is it foreseeable that perhaps he's going to be donning the yellow shirt again someday? I, I think it's it's very possible. I think if he continues his form, if he continues learning and, and growing under Tony, Tony Popovich, because that, that's the part that's impressed me the most. On the weekend, I saw him a lot of times in his own box, defending, trying to win possession, working hard for his team, and that's something that we very rarely if ever saw from Daniel Azani prior to this season. He, he was not a player that was known for that. He was all out attack. He had his tricks, his, his moves. He was great at dribbling at players. But if it wasn't working, that was it, you know. And, and there was never a, a willingness to put the team sort of before himself, you know, which, um, again, the, the, the attitude of his was always questioned. This year, I feel like he seems to have come to a realisation himself that, there is this this potential, but up until now, he hasn't really done anything um, with it, you know, and it would be frustrating him because he is, you know, maturing now and getting a little bit older. And, and, and I'd say it was a, a chat with Tony Popovich to say, listen, I can get a lot more out of you, but you need to start demanding more of yourself. You need to start putting in the work. And, and it seems like he's doing that. His all-round game is what has really impressed me. He's, he's defending, he's working for the team, and from that, you get the fruits of, of your quality going forward. 
um, you know, with, with everything else. So I think his attack has been good and, and can still get better. Uh, but his all-round game at the moment uh, and his attitude is what really is impressing me. I've got no doubt if he continues his form, he will be back in Arnie's side soon. Wanderers 1-0 over Adelaide. Uh, head on goal difference now in second place. They're, they're, just, they're going along nicely, aren't they, Marco's men? Uh, very nicely. They've got a, a very good squad and, and, you know, even with the late red card, they, they seemed in control of um, of that match and just playing very, very well. Uh, a side that's well-rounded, they've got good defence, attack, midfield, um, and just finding ways to get results, win games. And, and um, look, I think they, they've built quite well. They seem to be... They lost a lot of players from last year, which a lot of a lot of teams did, but they they recruited well. They, they, they had a seemingly a, a good pre-season because they started the season extremely well, similar to last year, but this year it feels like there's just a bit more about them and they're a genuine uh, contender this year for me. And the Aloisi Cup, you know, a few people thought that, you know, this could be the one where Western United just put it together. Maybe Johnny gets one over Ross, and indeed it happened. Uh, this was the upset, wasn't it? 2-1 over Brisbane Raw. It was, and, and, and a couple uh, late goals uh, in that one, and definitely one that Johnny Aloisi needed. You know, I mean, we sort of talk about clubs that are struggling and um, not really showing too much. And Western United, after that first round win against Melbourne City, it just seemed like, right, all that recruitment, uh, that, that new youthfulness that Johnny Aloisi had brought into this squad was going was gonna to deliver. And, um, and they went on a six-game uh, six losing streak, which was incredible. And uh, so definitely for him, not only bragging rights in, in, you know, with, with his brother and in the family, but a much, much needed win uh, for him and his side. And a big game tonight too, 3v5. Uh, Wellington just the one loss. MacArthur haven't lost a game this season. 7 o'clock, Campbelltown Stadium. A big game. Either, you know, whoever wins that one can go top of the league, which, uh, you know, again, I mentioned Wellington earlier about them not really having uh, hit great form but still getting results. But, um, yeah, I think uh, last week they got, they got beaten 3-0 at home. Uh, to the Jets. So they'll be looking to bounce back and MacArthur are just in, in great form under Sturjowski. They, they've really been playing good football, uh, obviously with one of the best players in the competition, De Villa there, um, in, in the form that he's in. And um, yeah, I think at, out, out of Campbelltown tonight, hopefully the crowd starts to respond as well. They haven't yeah. been great for, for the home side this year, but they've got a side that's playing good football, that's winning. They can't really be doing much more. I think it's... Uh, Look, approaching holiday season as well, so hopefully the people show up tonight and, uh, yeah, get MacArthur over the line. Then the Premier League action overnight, it's the biggest clash, isn't it, in Premier League football? Liverpool, Man United, at Anfield no less. Liverpool dominate possession and shots, but Onana, a lot of criticism of Onana since his recruitment in the off-season replaced one of the favourite sons in De Gea, but he held his own and they somehow united, albeit with their loaded injury toll, have managed to, to come away with a point. Yeah, and, and that's how it seems that they sort of scrambled and, and did what they needed to do. And it is one of the biggest clashes and uh, such a good one always to watch. But Liverpool very sort of wasteful in that in that uh, in that box. Something like 30, 30 something shots uh, they had, but you know only seven or eight of those on target. You're right, Anana there would have held strong and, and, and did well. But yeah, it didn't really live up to the uh, the hype that that I was hoping for and expecting in terms of goals and clashes. I mean, we saw the famous seven nil not long ago, and that was being posted <laughs> everywhere to remind the Manchester United fans of that one. But uh, it was far from that match uh, overnight. A nil or draw. Uh, yeah, Arsenal two, Brighton nil. So the Gunners back to the top of the league thanks to two second half goals at the Emirates. 
Yeah, and that's again another one, another big one. I mean, Aston Villa as well. They got off to a, a, I mean, another another good win. I mean, flying in Europe, flying in the Premier League, and and um, you mentioned them last week, just how good it is to see Aston Villa doing what they're doing. But Arsenal as well. I think with Manchester City just stumbling. Um, yeah, they gave up a two-goal lead, didn't they? They're four that's off Villa right. now. That's- Mm. And and at home as well, it's uh, you know you. Ve- I mean, I couldn't remember the last time I saw a result like that. Manchester City cruising two 0 uh, to to be equalised late with a couple of late goals. So Arsenal flying at the moment. I think um, look, it, it's the most open Premier League we've seen in in a number of years. I mean, Manchester City have really dominated recently. So it is good to see. It's good to see that um, you know this year we've got three or four clubs that could genuinely win it. And just one more, uh, Luton-Bournemouth, that match had been suspended or abandoned, I think. Uh, their captain, Tom mm. Lockyer, taken to hospital after suffering a, a cardiac, cardiac arrest the second time as well, uh, which is, is deeply concerning. We've seen this on occasion, haven't we, on the football field. Uh, they're not scenes that we like to witness. Um, he has stabilised, which is good to see. But, um, yeah, again, it's, um, it's pretty frightening stuff. Uh, it's scary. It's scary because you you almost forget sometimes. I think about the human nature to, to footballers and the fact that they have their issues and their problems. And um, and to see something like that on a football field is always uh, difficult to watch. You're right, but thankfully he he does seem to be recovering and he's okay. And again, an odd one just because he, he had surgery and and uh, on the heart was given the all clear to resume playing uh, playing earlier this year, but. Still, for him, I mean, that's enough to scare me out of playing the game, you know, if that had ever happened to me. But, you know, he continued and, and was given the all-clear and went again. But um, this surely has to put some things in, in perspective, I'd say. And, and uh, look, health comes first above anything else. And, and um, look, hopefully he does recover and, and, you know, and he's OK. It does. Always good to get your thoughts. Thank you, Broski. We'll catch you on the Global Game tomorrow night. Thank you. No worries. There is Alex Brosk, former Sydney FC captain and co-host of the Global Game, 0457 736 736. Bondi Jack, just checked Laird's. Okay, so two World Series cricket tons, 106 at Football Park, 122 as well, uh, Trinidad, um, and then Tess High School was 92. So I said three or four. I knew I knew, knew it scored one. Thank you for that clarity, Bondi Jack. Break it back with more. Good morning to you, Bulldog Bob on the text line. Uh, Julian, most clubs had or have unsung heroes. I can remember the back rails at Canterbury, such as Tony Grimaldi, Steve Reardon, Simon Gillies and the great Steve Folks. They did most of the dirty work, nearly or rarely got the credit. Have a blessed and peaceful Christmas. Thanks for entertaining this old home-based mortgage broker during the year. Good on you, Bulldog Bob. Always enjoy reading your correspondence here. Simon Gillies is a good player. He played, in fact, I think he played, didn't he play in the, the New South Wales, Queensland, the Super League Tri-Series? I'm sure he got picked. I know he played, I think he played for Country Origin too. Was he? He was the man that I think was he the captain after Baba retired. Might have been. You'd know better than me. But he's a really good player. Very good back row. Simon Gillies. Good names. Names I haven't heard for a while. Stingray. Jules. Hello, Stingers. Unsung sports people. You recall Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez, N'Golo Kante, and Casper Schmeichel. But the unsung hero was midfielder Danny Drinkwater. 35 matches, 3,039 minutes for Leicester City the year. They won the Premier League 2015 and 16. Outstanding shout. Would never have thought about that, Stingray. That is still one of the more remarkable sporting achievements I've witnessed in my lifetime when Leicester won the league. It's just a great name too, isn't it, Danny Drinkwater? His cousin Scott goes well. He's on the cusp of New South Wales origin selection. So there you go. Thank you, Stingray. Uh, Mike, this is interesting. I reckon Scott Muller was underrated. You reckon? 
The man deemed can't bowl, can't catch, can't field, can't throw, whatever, can't bat. Actually played two more tests than most of them. I mean, that is true. Seven test wickets at 36 apiece. Not too shabby starting out. 102 shield wickets at 23. Very good. I think he's a good bowler. You don't get picked for Australia if you're rubbish. Some are better than others, obviously. But even if you're in that conversation, you're a damn sight better than you and I could ever hope to be. Thank you, Mike. And thank you to David as well. Uh, also chiming in on uh, Stumpy Bruce Laird. Two centuries in four of the super tests. One for the Windies, the other versus a World Eleven. Then 122 versus the West Indies in the 78-79 Super Test. Highest scored 92 in Test cricket. Yes, I was right. He didn't get to the 100. But as I said, Clive Lloyd said, if you score runs against us, you're a good player. And he's a very good player against, well, in one of the toughest years of cricket, as, as Greg Dean Chapel would say. Even if they think about it, is in the Super Tests. And I spoke to Pelly about this. He doesn't care about the stats not being counted. It's almost a separate category. They're not even counted as. First-class stats. i tell you what, it makes Lily's figures look even better. He was dominant. Let's get the news headlines. Just before we get to Tommy Two Cents, an update from the NFL this morning. Saints 24 over the Giants, 6. The Browns uh, 20 over the Bears, 17. Panthers 9-7 over the Falcons. That sounds like it was a scintillating game. The Buccaneers 34 over the Green Bay Packers. Dolphins thump the Jets 30-0. The Chiefs... 27 over the Patriots, 17. Texans, 19 over the Titans, 16. That was an overtime today. The 49ers, 45, have defeated the Cardinals, 29. The Rams, 28 over the Commanders, 20. Bills, 31 over the Cowboys, 10. And coming up later on today, we've got the Jaguars and the Ravens. And then tomorrow from just after midday, 11 o'clock in Queensland, the Seahawks and the Eagles. Uh, there's a lot more text about 2am, Tommy, I suppose. I should drag you back in again. Morning, Jules, Alex, all the listeners out there. Is there more text about me or for oh, me? Oh, really? Yeah, as if you're not screaming than Mark. Oh, these are all about me, Jules. Listen, okay, <laughs> let's have a look. Um, all these, uh, Junior Smithy, all these Roosters fans wanting Tommy to have his own show. Sorry, Tommy, this won't work. There's not enough listeners because all 50 of the Roosters fans just won't cut it. Junior Smithy, <laughs> thank you. Um, da, 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 there was a couple here. If it wasn't, oh, no, we did that one. All hail Tommy and Alex the Cogs that make SEN work, says Dan. That's very nice, Dan. That's true. Doesn't work without them. And I think we might leave it at that. Sure. Well, there's one here from EJ. Morning, Jules and Tommy. Unsung hero has to be Tommy. And do you have the web address for his fan club? No, I don't. I need to get that made. I'll get a web website send, made. He'll send you his OnlyFans link very shortly, all right, <laughs> Yeah, EJ? me and, and then, then, then Go nuts, please. Go nuts. Kingy, unsung hero is David Barnhill and Gary Larson. Thank you, Lordy. Good player. Still in the pub there, Barney? I saw a photo the other day. The, that Barnhill and Goulet, Chuck Heron... A few others of that Dragons. Marky Coyne was there. Did an early 90s team reunion. They're looking fit too, Tommy. Jules, can I give you another unsung hero? He's part of the Melbourne Storm team in the early 2000s. Uh, Queenslander could tackle for days. Dallas Johnson. Yeah, I thought about him unsung actually hero. when I went to the kitchen. During the, yeah, good player. Very, very, very good, player. good player. Very tough player. Was, wasn't he the one too when um, Bellamy was sort of picking his squad and, and he was the one that just refused to give up? He had, he had like a busted leg or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just kept running. He said, mate, you're on my team. Yep. He was, yep. Um, he was one of Craig Bellamy's favourite sons, Dallas Johnson. Mm, good player. And this one too. This is nice, Simon. G'day, Jules. I'd like to think we're all unsung heroes at times, especially during natural disasters. Uh, pitching in to help a neighbour and donations to charity and volunteers, emergency services, watching the sad news unfolding in Cairns reminds me of this proud of being Aussie. Yeah, that's true. It's just not all about the sports stars, but, you know, push comes to shove, those that, that step up. Absolutely. Thank you, Simon.
Now, Jerome Luai, Tigers fans are happy. A couple of people saying it's a bit overs. But, yeah, that's what you need to do to lure them away from a successful club like Penrith to a team that's way down the bottom. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's... Yes, it's tough because he's at such a successful club, the most successful club of the NRL era, the Penrith Panthers, first team to go three in a row, right? And so you're obviously going to have to pay, what, a dollar twenty, a dollar thirty on the dollar. You're going to have to pay overs for a guy like Jerome Luai. Now, he's, he has shown that without Nathan Cleary, he can be successful, not on the NRL level, but when he played for Samoa, kind of took them to the World Cup final. However, it's different leagues, international v NRL. It's different, different leagues. I do think it's a good sign. It's a good move for, from Benji Marshall, from Shane Richardson. Um, it's a risk, but you've got to take, if you're those lower feeder clubs, you've got to take those big risks. Now, they've have been burnt in the past where they have paid overs for a half. Just look at Josh Reynolds. Back in 2018, I think they paid him. Braithen Nasta. Well, I mean, it's not just that, but Adam Blair was a big signing too. He didn't deliver for the Tigers. There's always, look, there's a risk in any signing, right? Inherent risk in any signing. You don't know how they're going to perform. No. But if you want to see to be hit the ground running, to say, we mean business to get this club back to where we think it needs to be, then you pick a championship winning half, and that's Jerome Luai. If you've got to pay what it doesn't matter. The point is, you got him now. And he said, you know what, I am willing to come to this club. And that should be a vote of confidence for Tigers fans. 100%. But then when it comes into a fact, all right, we're paying Jerome 1.2 over the next five years. Let's say the guys that he stacked up to, stacked up with as well, who's on similar or more coin as him. So David Fafita, Jack Wyden at the Raiders uh, when he was there. He was on a million dollars, probably taking less at the Bunnies. Mitchell Moses, Adam Fanua, Blake, as we know, Tedesco, Ben Hunt, Tom Draboyevic, uh, Luke Brooks, he, when he was previously at the Tigers, won't be on that at the Seagulls. Daly Cherry Evans, Cameron Munster, Nathan Cleary, Callum Ponga. So uh, the task for Jerome Luai and the task for the West Tigers moving forward from 2025 is Jerome Luai is now in that upper echelon. Whether or not you think he should be paid that much money, he has to be held to that same standard as guys like Callum Ponga, Nathan Cleary, Cameron Munster, Daly Cherry Evans. That's like four of the best players in the NRL right now. Yep. You've got yep. Daly Cherry Evans, Queensland... Queensland captain Munster been there, done that, led his helped his team to a premiership. Nathan Cleary, I mean Jerome Luai knows knows more than anyone just how good Nathan Cleary is. And then Calum Ponga finally put a full season together at fullback and helped his team make week two of the finals um, and win a Dalian medal as captain of the club under that un, the first year under that big big deal that he signed with the Newcastle Knights. So he's going to be stacked up against those guys when he goes to the Tigers, if he goes to the yep. Tigers from 2025. So a massive task ahead of him. That's true. And they need to, as best they can, give him what he needs to succeed. You know, that was that oh, Ben Hunt was complaining about. It. So, well, they told me I'm the marquee man, but we'll get these players and help you out and didn't get it. And so he was aggrieved at the club and to the point where Flannery's going, well, if we're getting Fenor Blake, it might just keep him here for 2025. That all remains to be seen, but you know, none of these things are done single-handedly. No, but, but potentially that, is the difference. But right? I think they've got, they've got good pieces there already around him. So Jareem Buller's going to be into his third full third full NRL season by the time 2025 happens. They'll still have Api Corusau there. They'll have maybe Isaiah Papali'i, guys like Stefano, Rising, Clemmer, who knows if he'll be there. But, Jules, the one thing I wanted to ask you, it's really interesting. So, when Jerome Luai gets there in 2025, so Aiden Caesar, he's got a two, he's got a one-year deal and the second year is a club option, right? And then you've also got 
Jaden Sullivan, who you know well, uh, former Dragons playmaker, and then Latu Fanu, who's this highly touted, highly rated youngster yeah. coming from the Seagulls, as well as his brother Sam Weller. Sam Weller's played in the NRL. He's more of a lock-back rower slash prop. He's played a handful of games. And Latu, he's a former Blues, under-18 Blues, um, 5'8". He's very, very highly regarded. So... I mean, he signed there until the end of 2027, same as Jaden Sullivan, and Luai's going to be there for till the end of 2030. In my calculations, three doesn't go into two. So You'd be right. Three doesn't... Well, it does what? How many times? Do the matter. Two-thirds. <laughs> I mean, one one could come yes. off the bench, but I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I look up. It seems like it seems like this, and it seems like we could probably predict that round one, the halves with the Tigers are going to be Jaden Sullivan and Aiden Caesar. Yep. I, I doubt Benji's going to blood Latu Fanu straight away. Probably play some reserve grade and hopefully get a taste of NRL throughout the year. But maybe, maybe because I can't really see Caesar playing to 2025 unless he has a great year, but maybe Sullivan and Latufanu battle it out. I know we're looking very, very far ahead, uh, but you know Luai's going to be the six or the seven when he gets there. So, you know, maybe Sullivan and Latu are going to play it out to be, to say who's the long-term partner with Luai moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, these are selection headaches of Benji Marshall. The uh, point is you'd rather have too many than too few. And uh, I, it looks like now, yes. I'll just say good, one... Th- good headaches to have, as they say. And I'll just say one thing before I go, Jules. The last few years, the Tigers have been in the news for all the wrong reasons. It's now good. Last week, Shane Richardson in there, Richardson in there Barry O'Farrell, Richo saying all the right things, moving forward. Um, and then Jerome Luai, big, big fish. We've been spoken, speaking about him all length in the off-season. The Tigers reportedly have landed him. It's just good that we're talking about them in a positive fashion. Yep, agreed. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks, Jules. 0457736736. Just on the Tigers and Richo, Matt says, Richo is the NRL version of Eddie Jones. Yeah, he took the job, give it six months, he'll be gone. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think, well, I can't be certain, but I suspect he's uh, going to have a slightly more successful tenure with the Tigers than Eddie Jones did in his second coming with the Wallabies. Matt, thank you. And Paramount, yes, just in response to the texter who listed all those unsung heroes of the Eels... Give that man a prize. I was also thinking about the Eels War Horses, who also helped lift our four trophies. Underrated, but not overlooked. Uh, with regards to... Thank you, Brad the Owl. I was waiting for one. With regards to Chris Reed, don't forget his sister, Di. Yes, good on you. Unsung hero, Jules. Tears Gary. Jeff Harding, our first big man champion. At the time, Fennec was the man of fair enough, but that first fight against uh, Andres... Dennis Andres, the fight of the year. Gary, yeah, well said. Good domination. In light of triple premiership player Luai getting 1.2 mil per year, the Cows' $2 million offer to Dearden for three years seems about right, given his experience and skills have zero premierships at the moment. I think the market value, age is the one thing on his side, Dearden, because you can see him as a long-term prospect, 22. And how old's Luai now? What, 27? I could be wrong. Tim says unsung hero, Peter Senior. Good man, Peter Senior. Uh, Anthony, no, I won't say that. That's not because Seeps is our friend here. Uh, an unsung hero is every non-Roosters fan who's got to listen to Tommy dribble every day. Give him the sack also. <laughs> if all the Roosters sitting in, how about go to the games this year? Up the Broncos, said Ben. That's always the jibe, isn't it, at Roosters fans? You don't show up. You don't show up. Joe Tarpany from Canberra, says Lee. Luke Longley, Tony Kukoc, some really good nominations coming through for unsung heroes. Billy Peden at the Knights. There's a name I haven't heard for a while. Very, very good. And just quickly before the break, uh, Bondi Jack, um, will Lily ever be awarded his World Series cricket wickets? No, he won't. What about Bevo's 185 for the World v Asia? Uh, no, it won't happen. But the thing about it is, 
What about test match status awarded to that Australia rest of the world game? What a farce I was at that game. They did not give a rat's. If they take that away from Test Match Records, SCG McGill will end up on 199 Test Wickets. But they'll never do it. You know why they won't do it, Bonnie Jack? Because Miralee will have less than 800. Breaking back with more on the other side of this, Garby is in a day early because the test didn't go for five days. We'll speak to him after the break, filling in for Jimmy. Almost out of time here on Summer Mornings. Now, Daniel Garb, we spoke to him last week on the program. He was, I wonder what Garby was thinking last night. He said, come on, boys, push it into day five. Or just <laughs> did he say, go get the 500th, wrap it up, because I'm champing at the bit to jump in on the afternoon program. Good morning to you, Garby. Hello, Jules. Mate, I was excited. I was hoping the Aussies would wrap it up so I could make my debut on yes. SEN 1170 rather than have it delayed by a day. So right now... I'm like one of those sports people who's sitting in the sheds about to run out onto the turf for uh, their first ever appearance. An exciting time, mate. Well, I wonder if it's going to be a Lion-esque debut, wicket with the first ball, or is it like the football we saw? Who was the, the youngster that, that Ange brought on for about seven seconds at the conclusion of that match on the weekend? You know, you come on, you don't touch the ball, but it, it counts as a... It counts as a cap, that yeah. nonetheless. But welcome. Anyway, we're talking about unsung heroes mm. on the program today. Any, any jump out for you in any sport? Well, we might just continue the chat a little bit through the afternoon. Yeah, because that's the exact means. thing that I thought about when Nathan Lyon took his 500th. We don't appreciate this guy enough. And I think the term that I was, for a little twist on it, if you like, Jules, the, the term that came to mind for me was underappreciated. Like, yeah. do we appreciate Nathan Lyon enough? And I, I think it's because he's... Of the close proximity to the Shane Warne era. Um, you know, it wasn't in the exact same time frame, obviously, but, you know, we so much, so many of us grew up watching Warney and no one will ever compare, but the stats are legendary from the GOAT, from Gary. So, you know, under other underappreciated sports people in Australia. Sam Stoza comes to mind, a US Open champ. Did she get enough credit? Yeah. Mm. That's a very good point. No. Uh, demolished Serena, too. That, that's a really good shout. Let me ask you this, mm-hmm. actually. Um, as a man where Perth is, is close to your heart, 9,000. It's a Sunday. It's not a school day. There's no sport on as we know it. A chance to see Australia potentially well, win the test match and Lyon take his 500. How do, how do they spin that, uh, the disappointment of that low number? Well, the first three days were okay, Thursday, Friday, yeah. against weak opposition overall. Um, you know, weekdays, I thought those numbers were solid. I still think, and people point to the Justin Langer axing, and that might have had a bit of an influence on, I guess, the mindset of West Australian cricket fans towards the Aussie cricket team. I think it's more about the move from the Wacker to, to Optus Stadium. For some reason, I just don't think that's resonated for cricket with the WA public. The Wacker was close to the heart. It was a pure cricket ground. Optus Stadium is an unbelievable venue. I've been lucky enough to go there. For me, only a packed MCG gets close to it in Australia. But it's not a pure cricket ground. And I think West Australians still haven't quite come to grips with that. And they don't turn up to Optus to watch cricket with the same fervour that they did the WAC ground. Okay, very quickly, Gabby, what is happening on the program this afternoon? So we're going to chat a bit more about cricket with Barrett Sundarassan. Looking forward to that from the SEN cricket team and from Crick Buzz as well. So many talking points. Nathan Lyon, of course, but, you know, the Cam Green situation. What do they do mm. from here? How do they get him into the side? Because um, they want to. That, that's clear. But Mitch Marsh is just killing it at the moment. So what are they going to do in that sense when David Warner goes? Does Cam Green come in as as opener potentially? Looking forward to Barrett's views on all of that. We'll look at the Jerome Luai situation with Zach Bailey 
from Channel 9. Robbie Slater will join us for a football chat. Asian Cup squad gets announced later this week. Bruno Fornaroli, has he worked his way in? Liverpool and Man United did battle in the early hours of the morning, of course, so that's always a big talking point. And we'll chat to Tom Decent from the Sydney Morning Herald about the Eddie Jones Great. saga. He was Excellent. front and centre for that, of course. Some great journalism and his insights on Eddie, uh, the Wallabies, and now the move to Japan will be really interesting. The Jam Pack Show. Catch you soon, Garby. Thanks, mate. Almost out of time on the program this Monday. Let's tidy up a few of these texts before we say sayonara. Dan says, would Rue Dog, the wet nose crossbreed by Kevin Bloody Wilson, be okay for our Christmas song tomorrow, Jules? Uh, no, I'm not sure it would be, Dan. I know we can't get Hey Santa Claus. <laughs> Rob, I thought Tommy was a Charles Goodson in a Roosters costume. Quite possibly. Uh, Bono Jack, I've told you, Dean is is just a player and far from a marquee. I have Saints' best interest at heart, Steve Clear. I think he's going to stay anyway at the Cowboys. How about Gary Corn and D Lance? Underappreciated, unsung heroes for the Raiders. The great Jason Toots Croker. Thank you for that, John. Peter Coyne says, Troy guided Valleys to the 1990 Grand Final with a sleight of hand, passing and decisive field goals and on and on go. Peter Coyne, yeah, there's a good one. Shane Watson, thank you for teaching us how to properly manage our decision review. <laughs> and plenty more. Tony Carroll, Brisbane Broncos. Thank you, Michael. Thank you to our guests on the program today. Bryce Begain, Nathan McAndrew, Alex Bross. Thank you to Meister on the tools. Thank you, as always, to 2AM Tommy, and thank you to you, the listeners. We'll be back to do it same time tomorrow from 9 o'clock in New South Wales, 8 o'clock in Queensland. News coming up, and after that, tune in for Daniel Garb making his debut on the Jimmy Smith Afternoon Program. Catch you tomorrow. Bye-bye.